Welcome to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share. All ideas, thoughts, and statements are those of the guest and the host of Echo Oscar Delta, and not of Navy EOD or Navy as a whole. All right, today we have Joe Studsky with us. He did about nine years in the Navy, was a EOD chief petty officer, did uh, two and a half deployments. We'll get into that. And uh, yeah, I've had the pleasure of going through school with this guy. So Joe, appreciate you coming on. Right, thanks for having me. It's been really nice reaching out. You know, not every day do you get uh, an inbox and saying, hey, you know, uh, I need some bronze. What, what do you mean? Uh, I haven't heard from you in like forever, dude. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I'm glad, glad to help you out. I did feel a little weird uh, having not talked to you in a few years and then asking you for something from halfway across the world. No, nah, dude, it's honestly like, and that's like what, what I was talking about in the questionnaire. Was, I was like, you know, reach out and stay connected. You know, even if you haven't heard from these guys in like forever, you know, I think that, um, the message like uh, podcast these days and just military veterans in general uh, is just stay connected with people even if you haven't heard from them but whether you're friends or not I think that was one of the big lesson points too where like your time is your time you don't want to have to spend any more time around the guys and the gals but then when you get out you're like yeah hey, remember remember that one time that this, uh, this person was doing that man that was so funny it's so annoying at the same time yeah man I missed that you know I didn't reach out you know um it's just really good. So I, I really appreciate it because, you know, especially around the holidays, you know, yeah. it's always good to you know hear from people. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah, dude. Yeah, uh, so yeah I did, did, did nine years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I actually came in, what, uh, 2006 and uh, separated in 2015, right? Yeah, yeah. That was an unintentional separation. And I say unintentional because I was, uh, I'd already put on chief in 2014 and i was already a master tech and then i was like all right i'm gonna go do my reenlist i'm gonna be diligent i'm gonna plan ahead i'm like all right i know i have this obble serve or whatever the hell's going on my paperwork i'm like all right i'm just going to go and re-enlist and so i went to re-enlist and it was like well actually uh something's weird with your paperwork but you only have like a year left and it was kind of like hmm i'm gonna talk to trina Hey, Train, if I had the option to get out of the military in like a year, would you want me to get out? Is, is, is that something like you're into? You, just, you don't mind if I stay in? And it was just like, it was like her eyes like lit up. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to the Philippines, aren't I? Oh crap. Probably wasn't a good idea. But like once you give that like that option, then you, then your wheels start, start spinning and, and whatnot. And, and, and it's been good. I mean, the, the guys that I worked with at uh, Death Panama City, that was such a great, great crew. You know, a lot of senior guys that were there. And it was such an easy, easy way, easy way to pass all the requirements and the mandatory stuff. And it was no, no, no hard feelings of like leaving. But, you know, when you get that option to leave and you do have other options, um, because I think uh, any community, they always keep you kind of looking like down and in instead of up and out. They want you to always yeah. keep chasing the next carrot on the stick. <laughs> and like when I really sat down and thought about it, I was like, you know, on chief, I'm asking. It was a really good accomplishment, and I couldn't have been in that position I was in my career without those guys that were there and before. And so, like when I thought about it, I was like, I should go back. She can go work with her family business and earn way, way more than, than uh, me sometimes. And I was like, 
I want to be around the kids more. And then we decided to have a third kid. You know, we just had Amaya and Aiden at the shore deck. And then we had Carissa when we were here, like the fun in between. It was kind of like, get out, make a kid, and then <laughs> go to the Philippines. And Trinidad, Trinidad already got her citizenship. So, you know, the only thing I was doing is I was applying to a couple uh, three-letter um, agencies and whatnot, and I was just waiting around to hear from them, and then kept waiting and kept waiting, and I was like, oh, man, I'm just going to get out. Yeah. And then just kind of rolled the dice. I don't, I don't know if it was a good idea, you know, but I, I think I definitely grew more of a person, uh, take that uh, initial leap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks like you're uh, you're doing pretty good, so that's, that's good. Well, let's see. Uh, starting, I mean, you you came in a little bit older, right? Not like you know ninety, but oh my god, because I'm bald and I look like a baby bird <laughs> or something like that. Now, now I have no hair. You know, now, now I have nothing. But you know, yeah, no, I, I um, yeah, I uh, came out, uh, graduated high school, went into college, went to the Citadel. Uh, so not like name dropping or anything. Went went to the Citadel. Uh, did not take a commission out of that. I uh, was kind of was kind of looking at other options, and I looked into uh, the military, uh, special operations community, um, SEAL, EOD, uh, all that type of stuff. Why just looked kind of with diving, so I got in touch. I stepped in my senior year of college to the dive motivator type program or whatever. That kind of it's so weird down there because our time frame of joining in 2006, I actually came in as a YN, and that's what I stepped in as because you had to choose a source rating before everything kind of changed. But then. When I shipped to boot camp that summer after graduating uh, college, it was like, all right, you're just going to be whatever, and you're kind of going to go to the go uh, do the subgrade lakes and just kind of source it out from there. So right. that's kind of how I came in. Was, yeah, then we we did, man, we did all of school together, didn't we? Dude, I, I remember when we were mud pucking, <laughs> and I remember like and you talk about like funny funny stories about like mud stuff. I remember I went I went went to the, the galley there in uh, uh, San Diego and I just walked away from Mobile and Three Sidewalk. I was like, all right, I'm gonna go here. You guys like stay here. I come back and all of a sudden I'm seeing all you guys out on the back of the dive lockers <laughs> and just doing eight counts. And I'm like, I just left. What what did you guys do? And you're talking about being older. I was like, I feel like I just got designated to be put in charge of stuff. I was like, what did you guys say? What did you do? You know, it was just one of those things. So, yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot of times. But, yeah, we, we had a lot of fame together. And then we did um, that the TDY, the China Lake, before China Lake became the training, like, center for the West Coast. And uh, one of that uh, amazing first-class uh, petty officers that was kind of running us still still intimidates me to this day. I ran into <laughs> that dude when I was on a soft team at China, back in China Lake. I ran into him, and um, you know he resembles a great baseball player and whatnot, like a great baseball player. And I remember him, and he—I think he just switched over, and I think he did like LDO or Great Commission. I can't remember which one. I think a lot of the guys are doing the LDO program, the the officer, the officer program. And he still intimidated me. But one of the things I took away about like our time frame is that he looked at me and was like, oh, man, that's awesome. I haven't seen you in forever, and you're on a soft team. It was like felt like an like accomplishment that he had done something for us. Yeah. And it was just like, man, I'm still sitting there. Are we going to get beat? Like, am I, am I getting, <laughs> if we're in the middle of the desert, I'm like, where am I running to next? <laughs> what, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, man. Ran, ran into him. Who else did I run into? I ran into someone. It was right before they did that deployment. Because I was back. I think we were um, – 
we were uh, doing first pass or something like that, but I ran into another guy uh, as well. So, but I think you know what I'm talking about. We helped yeah. so move this out, but I ran into him. But, you know, it's just one of those things, like, uh, like the, the, the starting point uh, of everything. But, yeah, man, you and I have, like, like crazy stories, and you kind of really opened, like, that, that, that stream of consciousness. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, man, John would say this, and then we would all get beat. <laughs> or then... Joe would say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was. Yeah, awesome. I was actually talking to my wife uh, yesterday, right? And I was, you know, talking about how we were going to do this tonight, and uh, and I don't know why, but this this story came into my mind. So we were in. Okay. I can't remember. It was it was either air or one of the divisions. I, I can't remember, but. We didn't really have much to do. I'm pretty sure it was a Friday. We were told clean up and then, you know, muster up and then you could get out of here. Right. And, uh, you were like, you were on a mission to get stuff done. And I remember I had, I had a broom for some reason. I love to, to, to sweep. Uh, but I had a broom and a dustpan in my hand and we had an army or an air force captain in our class. And you were on such a mission. You had no idea who you were talking to, but you had just brought a bag of trash, like a full bag of trash out. And we're E3s. We're nothing, right? And you you look over, like, without acknowledging who or what he was, and you're like, hey, can you take the trash out? And then you just left. And I remember I was like, I was laughing inside, and I looked up, and I saw this captain just like, hands kind of like slightly in the air just looking over at you and then looking back at the bag of trash and then looking at you again as you're just walking away because you you were on your mission to get whatever else done you need to get done and then he just picks up the bag of trash his head drops slightly and he walks over to the dumpster it's like done problem solved (laughs) that's so joe (laughs) yeah i I like to think i changed and got got smarter or these less tenacious but I think I'm still the same. Yeah. I think I, I train it can relate to a lot of that. I think it's still very much like that. <laughs> <laughs> the worst is when I see it in my daughter. My eldest daughter Amaya is like that. Yeah. She did something the other day. It was it was hundred percent like that and then she like looked at me and I'm like, I don't know where she gets this from. <laughs> I have no idea who taught that girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. Dude, that's such a great, that's such a great, great story. But yeah, that, that brings back a lot, a lot of stuff. I think that's kind of how I, I did my, my military career. Yeah. Was like, yep, yep. Ranks, ranks great. That's cool. Let, let's just go work and get the job done and go home. <laughs> exactly. We're all, we're all on the same team, right? We're all in the military, right? All right, let's go. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, good, good and bad, right? Yeah, good and bad, you know, from like deployments to whatever. Yeah. So now there's uh a lot of stuff, you know, you talk about like a two and a half, you know, I, it, it's like one of those things of like, when I talk about the teams, I always talk about mobile, mobile teams, kind of did a little bit of time in uh, supply, Zilla, you know, penalty box, <laughs> and then I, I got on uh, uh, a MCM team, but it was kind of like the alternate MCM team, it's so weird to describe like uh, Guam and the dynamics, because I feel like our time period up until like 2015, everything was like an uber transition of kind of what DOD wanted to be, and we were just kind of like, all right, here you go, go this way, or go this way, yeah. you know, stuff. So, you know, that one, you know, we did a lot of, um, 
country hosting, and then having some guys to go and do like J sets and J racks and, and everything, and, and then we would post our stuff. So you know, you want to do a lot of flyaways. Some guys would do flyaways, and like, oh, we only need like two people to go here, or hey, we're gonna host uh, Indian divers or Aussie clearance divers or whatever. So you were on the island, but you were constantly always hosting, and you were like that platoon that kind of hosted. So I consider that like a, a, a half deployment because you never left, but you were always doing some sort of engagement that was outside of the normal uh, mobile unit, like exercises and stuff like that. And then you would do the exercises as well. So. Yeah. But, uh, but there was a lot, lot, lot of crazy stuff with that. So, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, you're a... Uh... Let's see. Your first deployment was to uh, the Philippines, right? Or was that your second? Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, mobile team in the Philippines. Yeah, that was what, uh, 2008, 2009, when that Yeah. Yeah, because you, uh, you got to you got to Guam a little bit before I did. Ooh, why was that? <laughs> why, why, why did I Why did I get to Guam before you? I just wanted to to, uh, to really really hone my my knowledge before I got to a mobile unit. <laughs> Oh my God! Do you, we were in underwater, and I don't remember if it was you, me, or like, like one of us. There was three of us doing a recheck for like, oh my God! It was like it was the beginning part of under. I don't know if it was the beginning part of underwater it's before before the end before you decided to exit us. It was like before that, and I, and I can't remember if it was the three of us, and we were out there in, in the crack area, and we were just kind of looking over, and it was like this basic, you know, like. Ordinance identification, you know, like, hey, this is this, this and that. And I could have sworn that I was like, man, we are not going to pass this at all. This guy's going to have to fail all of us. Like, you're not getting this. <laughs> like, it was just like looking at him, it's like, what is this? And we're like looking at each other, and we're like, I don't know. <laughs> it was like we all like blanked. You know, I think that was, that was before that was at the beginning, but yeah, man, that, that, was, that was a crazy time for him. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know why he decided to leave us. You know, it's not like. <laughs> Maybe we just weren't good enough. And, you know, you're like, I want to take some extra time, enjoy the weather. But, you know, you couldn't have timed dive school and underwater in Florida at the best time. Because we got summer, we got spring break and summer. Yeah. It was like the best time to be at those two things. You didn't hate life where you're wearing like a six mil uh, wetsuit in the winter. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. But yeah, so yeah, after that, yeah, I got the Mobian before you. I got stuck in off, worked with a, a great mastermind chief up there, which brings I'll dime myself out another. You can talk about like my stubbornness of like the, the Josephski like way of like, I don't really listen to pretty much anybody. <laughs> and I, I try to make good decisions, whether good, bad, or indifferent. And I'm, I'm willing to pay the price 100%. So I was out there, and I got I got hooked up. I got to work with uh, a couple guys, zero point guys. Um, worked with them, and I was starting to do this like uh, pro dev, right? But I didn't know it was pro dev. I had no idea these things had these names. Yeah. So I was I was in ops. I don't know why I was in ops. Maybe maybe my my reputation preceded me, but I was in ops. All the other guys got to go to like the armory, got to go to N seven, got to go do like EOD stuff. And here I am, I'm, I, I'm an op, I'm an EOD3. I'm like, I have no place being here. I, I know nothing about EOD. I, I'm just here, you know, chained to death. Why, why did I end up here? You know, so, um, that. so we got back there and I was uh, doing, I think I got hooked up 
and I got to do an on-island training, and it was doing some um, radiological type things, and it was really cool because not a lot of guys got to do this type of thing, and it kind of set the momentum of my career down by like the radiological chem bio type thing. That's kind of where I got uh, stuck into with EOD uh, mainly, and I remember it was like, all right, go to this course, Monday to Friday, and then that was it. I was like, okay, no worries. So we get done at like lunch, like noon, one, and I'd done this all week. And it was like Friday. I get a call from the lion up and off, and he's like, Joe, yeah? I'm like sitting at my house with uh, another guy. I'm just sitting there chilling. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Uh, Peter says, uh, what? Uh, you got to come in. I'm like, all right. I go in there. I get in there. And it's like, like you hear like a pin drop. It's like everyone knew, like everyone knew. <laughs> and I just get reamed out because one, why didn't you come check in <laughs> at all? <laughs> I was like, well, I, I was, I was at the stores. <laughs> you told me to go. And I had to take out all the trash. So it's like, here it is, like UD3, like nobody, like walking into all the master chiefs. The C, the, the CO, XO, and everybody knows. Like everyone, everyone knows why, why you're there. I mean, the yeah. person I was attached to was definitely uh, really, really connected. And here's me just, and they, they, they didn't say anything. It was just the most awkward, like shaming thing of like, I'm gonna take out all the trash forever. I think I cleaned the entire second deck and the bottom, and then just did whatever. And it was just one of those things of like, that was a good lesson to learn. Um, but man, it was just like, it made me feel so small. So, you know, nothing changed from like that. So again, that, that, that telling that, that captain, you know, I came back to bite me in the butt more than once or twice during my time in. Yeah. So <laughs> that was a great story. But yeah, all the other guys are doing cool EOD stuff. I'm sitting in an office and I'm like, I don't want to look at PowerPoints or learn actually how EOD works and how to get some point A to point B, I want to go like dig a hole and watch some guys drive a robot around. That's way cooler. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man, perspective, right? Right. Exactly. Such, such new guy perspective. Exactly. But yeah, so after, after that, that crash and fall, I missed out on a Quadrillion deploy, uh, um, a thing with Death Mary there. That's what I missed out on. By me not being uh. there, I missed out on work. And then another guy got picked for that. So oh, it's kind of like a, a really good lesson point for all these new guys. Is sometimes you don't want to hang out and you, you don't, you don't want to do that. And for a good reason, most of the time, but sometimes you do miss out on that, that ability to go do these dive trips, especially when you're in like the Pacific. Moby Unit 5, like we drop an obscene amount of ordnance and, and test it on World War II. And it's always washing up. It's always showing up. There's always like, oh, we did a construction project and we got to go find it. So I think that was for uh, a good project on Quadrillion. But it was, it was one of the things where you really wanted to be a part of it, other than the sharks. Yeah. Apparently the sharks were insane. And yeah, that, that, that's, I'll pass on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm good on sharks. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, there's a picture that I got and it was just like the pier and just a hundred sharks. Just like, oh, yeah, I'm good. You get, you get in the water. I'm good. Yeah. I'll stab you and then get in the water. <laughs> Your first deployment out to the Philippines. How was that? I think that's... That, that was still, yeah. Now, I was going to say, that, that's a, a, a much different deployment than I think what, you know, 
a lot of people are used to that were stateside because most of them just went, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, Bahrain, that kind of thing. But the Philippines was a there's there's some pretty cool stuff out there. How how was your time there? Well, that, that was the thing because like you and our sister, when you finally made it to Guam, it was me and another guy that we did it. So the trio was reunited, and you were on that other team, and it was kind of like we were winding down Iraq. And they didn't kind of have a place for you guys. So when we went through everything with the team training and, and everything like that. And then right in November, there was an IED incident. And it, it killed two uh, Green Berets that were down there um, in Holo and Howie Howie area. And at that time period, that like shut all movement down here because it's such a, a hard thing because one of the one of the great things about the Philippines is their their military service uh, has a lot of the um, same capabilities and training that, that we have provided over decades, right? We've been there was a former territory of the United States. You know, so we have we have a long history. So once that IED incident happened and it killed those two guys, um, it kind of shut everything down during that thing. And then we showed up in country January of that year, like the group was right after the, the new year, just after team training, it immediately went right into it. So it was kind of like that. So when we were doing our like around the world and like turnover, so the other platoon that was there, it was kind of like eggshell still because there was um, just an amazing amount of landmines, IED, and, and it's not just, um, there's a problem about the war on terror. It really doesn't delineate who we're actually fighting, but and then the Philippines, you have a strong communist push. You know, you have the MTA, you have a huge MTA presence, which we kind of really don't touch, but they kind of bleed into each other because, you know, everything ends up going back to organized crime. And then you have, we got, we got MILF, they weren't recognized in it. It's so weird now they're kind of recognized in the Philippines. You have MILF, you have a lot of these groups that uh, kind of intertwine into what was going on in Afghanistan. Iraq, uh, Horn of Africa, and so they kind of made this like parabolic type of shape, and it all ended in the Philippines, uh, especially in the islands. And I think that a lot, of, a lot, a lot of viewers don't know this, but uh, even I, I had forgotten about a lot. When we first started the war on terror, the first place we went to to hunt for uh, Laden was in the Philippines. Uh, so the, the Philippines is, is one of those places that's always been on like the back burner. But it had a big thing, and, and to kind of go back to the all, all kind of ties into the deployment. But in 2017, Morawi tried to become a caliphate, and uh, we uh, had the, the Mounte uh, family type group, whatever they are, so with the clans and, and families and lineation. But um, the whole stuff that was going on in Syria and Iraq in 2017, well, same thing happened in Morawi. 2017 happened. I, I went to the military then, yeah. but Morawi decided to separate, and the president bombed the crap. Out of that, and again, what was left? A bunch of IEDs, yeah. you know. So it's, it's just one of those big things. So going back to like the deployment in 2009-2010, that was the same thing that was happening, but it was a little less stable. So you're doing a lot of training mission sets, but you're also integrating with a lot of the special operations side, and that's kind of where I got attached. Because actually, you're attached to the army when you're down here in, in the Philippines, and those guys have. A uh, different protocol because you're attached to a lot of the ODAs, and then you're also attached to all the NSW teams. And then I think the Marines, I ran into a bunch of guys attached to 
attached to the Marines. So you have a bunch of guys that maintain the AO, and then EOD, we provide our EOD knowledge. But being young EOD techs, you know, we're just kind of at the whims of what they need to get farmed out. And it was one of the best rope tools for a new EOD tech, good and bad. But for a new EOD tech, you could actually um, do two-man type uh, parts. You had guys in Polo, guys in Zabonga, guys in Cotabato. We were the team in Cotabato, but then Cotabato, Mindanao is so big, you had to split. So you had northern Mindanao, and you had southern, which would be like Jensen, Davao, and then you kind of just meet back up. So you had to kind of split everything. But across that small geographical range, you were ranging from MPA to MILF, you know, the Mindanao area. Oh, and that, that was the other thing. Crap. Also in November, so on top of the, I think the Gimbrays were actually September. It was November when you had a family massacre, like a massacre, like you didn't feel like you're back in like the 1700s. So you had this family, then Papuan, they massacred like 50 people. 50 people. They just shot up this entire convoy, took backhoes, dug them up, and then buried them. And I was, remember I was in Jensen working uh, a training thing with one of the uh, state departments, and we saw the vehicles. Like we saw that, I saw all the vehicles. They were all bullet ridden because, of course, that's it's a, it's a crime, right? They were they were doing that, but they finally prosecuted that entire family like a decade. But yeah, that that was the thing. So yeah, I think the Green Berets uh, with the IED threat was in September, and then in November, yeah, that Padawan massacre. They literally just took out and killed 50 people, and it's it's crazy to think that 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 could happen nowadays. And in such a, I find the Philippines to be pretty uh, civilized compared to one of the ARs, but it's not as permissive of an environment as you would think with all this stuff, especially at the time that we were going uh, on that deployment. So yeah, it's not your normal deployment, but it's also probably one of the best deployments to see. Uh, collection between special operations, regular uh, mobile unit type stuff, IED threat, more kind of like um, the IRA uh, type stuff of like England where you're like in a normal town and it's a normal everyday thing and then boom, bus blows up and you're like, what, what's going on? You know, so it, it's one of those type of things where you're getting just a, a whole shotgun effect. You feel like you're back in IED division all over again yeah. where just like Anything possible, you're like, oh my god, this all happened today. You know, you're from, from like a mine strike to a bus blowing up to, to everything. You know, it's just one of those one of those really really good things. We were doing a, a training mission out there in Davao, and we'd finished up, wrapped up for the week. And I was with my AOIC, and we were sitting there. And of course, you know, EOD guys. You know, we were. You know, I had no hair. I didn't have any of the hair that you guys all talked about. <laughs> Maybe not even the muscles. You guys talk about these like sculpted bodies these like amazing i don't think i had any of that you know and we were sitting there and we were we were sitting there on it we were laying out the pool deck you know it was already a week we already done a good workout laying out the pool deck in the sun and we hear this like pop and it was like pop pop we were like man it sounds like a disruptor called up uh the major and we were like hey uh are you guys doing anything it's like oh we found this like IED over here like City Hall. And we're like, what? Well, good thing we did training on IEDs this week. You know, they got these, maybe they're just putting practical application. You know, maybe they're trying to get their paycheck. You know, who knows? But 
you know, it's one of those things that like that's how fluid the environment was back in uh, 2009, 2010 in the Philippines. So it was, it was really good uh, from that perspective. And then after that, I got farmed out. I didn't know if it was a good thing. Um, I got farmed out. I went back to Luanga, met up, uh, linked up with the NSW guys because there's uh, a detachment there uh, from uh, 51, I think, or it could have been the guys from Luanga. It's so weird in, in the way they, they had the same type of deployment schedule. And linked up with them and did a bunch of BSS training with NSW and Swift guys. So that was a really good professional growth because, like, again, I was always trying to get to like that like soft team type thing. I think it's like a like a new guy type thing. It's like, oh, I want to go like be a soft team, yeah. you know. But then, you know, you kind of, kind of, kind of go to that that thing. So I, I did that uh, for a little bit, and it was a really good thing because he had a lot of um, the knowledge there. So it, it was a pretty good overall ground in deployment with that. I mean, it's smorgasbord of like every possible thing you saw at the schoolhouse. It was here. Oh, and, and not to mention with, with the Philippines deployment because the Japanese, right, invaded this place back in World War II, you're finding an enormous amount of ERW, uh, remnants of war, and UXO. So not only are you dealing with a, a constant IED threat, uh, you're also having to respond to UXO calls and whatnot. Normally, we wouldn't uh, respond to them, but if your Philippine counterparts needed uh, assistance, we were there to provide that assistance and that technical support. And I think that's one of the best things we can do is to buy through and, and with partnership. And so they would just give us a call, and we had EOD teams across the whole AO, and they'd be like, hey, uh, we found this 600-pound uh, bomb. Uh, we found 300 of them. All right, we got to go find a range. And that was one of the, the good connections that we had built as we uh, linked up with um, farmers and other people, we actually were able to use their land to conduct a couple uh, disposals and get rid of some of these uh, remnants of war because they're all over the place. Because in the Philippines, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if it's been passed around, but inside the Japanese bomb, this is just, this is super technical and highly secret, but there is gold inside <laughs> this bomb. And if you crack it, oh, you saw right through this bomb you're gonna find the gold i promise you you should you should totally do it it's just it's a money maker i'm i'm not joking but down here they they have like this crazy treasure hunting mentality and even our own EOD counterparts they would really think that there is gold inside these japanese bombs that are highly sensitive highly like if you don't even like look at it wrong it might go off right. you know i mean they're very 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 unstable and these guys would be taking hacksaws because they're trying to get the bowl. <laughs> oh that's amazing <laughs> oh man it, it, it's great <laughs> you you mentioned you know how uh like when you're down there it can put you in this like weird spot because there's a lot going on but it also sometimes feels like there's not and it, it definitely uh when when I ended up going down there, it was it was weird. It, it was a an interesting place to be because you could you felt safer than you actually were. I think that's probably the best way I could describe it. Yeah, I still feel like that nowadays. Now that I live here and I live in Mindanao, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I, I think I look back into how stupid I was. I'm just gonna say stupid. I'm naive. It's not even naive. It's just like how ignorant you kind of get put into that, that false sense of uh, 
security, but you're really just you're two man EOD just driving around and you're like got your escort and everything, but you don't always have like all this. If you're going in the middle of nowhere and I'm driving these same places now and it's already twenty twenty two and I'm like, Man, I used to do this? Yeah. Why why would I ever come here? <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. you know, it definitely puts a perspective. But I think I one of the one of the things is like get like leaning on a, a retired team chief, uh, stay in touch with him. Is you know you're as busy as you want to be, yeah. Right, and you know you got to find the work if you want to work. Yeah. And you know you can you can kind of do that, but it's one of those ebbs and flows. So I think it's I think the 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 things I got as a takeaway of that of that deployment was it was like a senior tech deployment. You should have been a senior tech before going there. And I would still fight them. Of course, being Joe Stusky, like stubbornness, I'd be like, nah, man, I'm good enough. I, I can do this too. And I, I, I put my pants on too, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think you want to expose new guys to that because I think that's kind of how the evolution of warfare kind of stemmed from that, where it was more uh, kinetic and that you need to understand that you're going to have um, ability to interface with, say, like embassies or State Department and, and FBI, and you integrate with a lot of that, that um, stuff, and you're also now integrating with American Special Operations and Army, and you're providing all of that type of thing, because one of, one of the other things that, one of the, one of the, one of the big parts that kind of like goes with that is that you're not only um, doing that type of stuff and that type of mission, but you're also taking like CBs. You ran into a bunch of CBs out here, and they're pretty much out here doing the buy through with. It's like, hey, I'm uh, going to go build this house in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to go build this this project, and so you would have to educate these guys in what they could uncover and dig up because these guys are the ones doing the earth moving. It's not me. I'm not. I'm not running. I'm not even going to be anywhere near you. So you're also taking the EOD thing, you know protect uh, personnel and property you need to educate these young guys and these guys are young just like you you just happen to have a crap on your chest and they're looking at you like oh you're amazing and it's like uh, i don't know man we're gonna get through this together um but you know they, they don't know any better because you know it's just, it's just the way it is but they're going to be digging the back codes they're going to be digging the septic tanks they're going to be out there constructing in the middle of the jungle and you want to let them know how to how to do this and it kind of layers on to what you would do and, and other parts of the world. So you're, you're really providing that thing. And that's why I think it's the most growth developing thing is because I didn't really look back on it, but another guy who's still active, when we linked up on a soft team, he was like, yeah, but you had a real deployment. And I felt like my deployment wasn't anything special. I think it's kind of like a, a big story arc where we don't feel like we really contribute enough but he was like, no, but you got to do disposals, you got to handle IEDs, you got to do all of that type of stuff. And, and he had missed out. He felt like he had missed out. He got to do the cool guy type type soft route. And he was like looking at me like, yeah, but you got to actually do EOD. You know what I mean? And I'm looking at him like, yeah, but you got to kick down doors and, and do all this other really cool stuff before I got to do it, you know? So uh, it's, it's always that, 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 that ebb and flow, right? And there's, there's, there's does it still feel like that in the community nowadays? Or, I mean, how, how is that? I posed the question back to you just because I'm, I'm, I'm out. But is that kind of how things are working or do things get better organized? There's still uh, – well, I'll, I'll say this. It's it's different out there versus, like, being stationed out in, you know, Guam. Being stationed overseas, 
is different than being stationed stateside because of the the way training is and your access and your um, the way things are structured. You're able to do more than you are stateside. <clears throat> I think. Yeah. I think that. You know, and this is obviously just my opinion and mm-hmm. how I look at it. But, um, you know, there, there's definitely still a wanting to be on the soft type teams. And I I think that's a, a good thing. You look at some of the, the, the work that's been done throughout the years. And, you know, a lot of the crazy things that have been done really haven't been on, you know, the the soft teams at, at the mobile unit level, they've been on regular teams because of just happenstance, you know, and it's just interesting. But, but I think uh, when you look at the, the high level training and potential for, you know, certain missions to come down. Yeah. People still want to be on the, on the soft teams. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think you get a lot. Of, I think you get good, good training. You know, I mean, that's one of the you, you get you get a little more specialized training. But I think that that's the issue that people miss, and is that you still need the fundamentals. You still need to know EOD because that's one of the biggest things. Especially, you know, if we we're not enough like jump forward into my uh, second second one or third one, whatever whatever you kind of call it. But you you need to build the groundwork of being a solid EOD tech. Because you, those rules still apply even when you're working with with uh, soft guys, because they don't know any better. They they have one purpose, and that one purpose is to clear the room. They don't have any of the other experience that comes. They might have experience because they deployed, because they've done stuff, but they don't have EOD, and and that that's one of the biggest things. Because getting those guys to stay in their freaking mask and to wash hands and tools or just to do any of that type of stuff, especially when you're in Southeast Asia or any place that has a temperature of like a billion degrees. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's one of those those big things where you're like, look, this stuff will kill you. And especially in a, not even going back to like the pandemic, but just agriculture, like I'll talk about agriculture later, but washing your hands and tools will stop and limit so much spread of so many nasty things. It's so key, but trying to teach it to these guys that, that have more or less the same training that we do at par uh, in terms of course length and, and school length and, and mental grit type building. It's like, put your mask on, wear your gloves. Yeah. Please, please do this. Please make my job easier. <laughs> but you know, it, it pays off because when we were doing a, uh, 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 an exercise uh, in, that, in that realm, in that space, because we had conducted, and actually because of my, my one of my teammates had done a lot of things, this, this dude is super, super EOD tech. Um, he, he had actually taught these guys and spent a lot of time with them about noticing tripwires, noticing pressure plates. And if you train these guys, they will learn. They'll take that knowledge and then they will actually save themselves because there's not always going to be an EOD tech, but there's always going to be an accident. There's always going to be something that happens where you can't always be there, but because EOD has the best knowledge transfer, we're able to transfer that knowledge to everybody. And that's why I bring back to the CB. So by him transferring that knowledge to these two uh, soft guys, he was able, they were able to save themselves until he could get there and actually take care of the, the ordinance that they found. Right. Yeah. And, and that's all we're trying to do is to preserve life and, and, and whatnot. But I don't want to jump in here. I can go to those stories 
in chronological order, but you know, I have some oh, good, good stories on, on that deployment uh, as well. But yeah, the, it really comes back to that mobile team. And that's other thing too. I remember, and you were still with us because I think it was WMD's division. That was another weird ass division that kind of got thrown into the NWD where like all the other guys, Army, Marine, Air Force, they were graduating. And we were like, yeah, I'm going to go get like two more months in my son over yeah. here underwater division you guys graduated but that's when we picked orders and we, but we were like we still had like two months so we picked orders and i remember like italy was done it was like even though we had good gpas and whatnot and that thing our class was just stupid smart yeah you know like having like a 94 percent average out of 100 and and still like you're like the bottom of the barrel like it was like oh okay i'll, I'll just sit here and put on my thumb but because you and the other guy, you guys had chosen Guam. I remember it came to me, and the only choices left were Virginia Beach and Guam. I really, really, really wanted to go to San Diego, and that was not an option. I, I wish I, I could have, but, it, but it, it, fate just took me to where it was, and you know, I think that's all it was, karma or fate or whatever the hell happened. And I was like, I'll choose Guam, and I remember – I remember that, that now Matthew Chief looking at me, he just I looked at me and he was like, why'd you choose? I'd choose Guam. I don't know, like Virginia. <laughs> you know, and it, it, was, it was a good thing, you know, and it, it was such a great thing. But Guam really, really was a good deployment. I mean, everyone wanted to go to Italy, Europe, and whatnot. But, dude, Guam, Guam was a good duty station. You know, it's still hard to fill, I think. I think it's one of those things. I think if I got back in, I would still probably have orders to Guam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyone going to Guam? <laughs> that, that would actually be the uh, if you want to come back in, they will let you in, but you have to go to Guam. <laughs> oh no, no, it, dude! I saw a nav admin, and not that I follow, but because you know, just you're so connected, and you never really leave the military. I, I'm really sure that it's the truth. Never really leave the, the military. And uh, one of the guys posted, "You can be up to your 42nd birthday." for first-term enlistment in the military. 42nd birthday. Well, that's how you, you ship the boot camp. That's how you got in the first time, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100% <laughs> you're right. Dude, I'm pushing like 60 now. Dude, I'm <laughs> oh, my God, that was the hair. Now, now, I think being balder now, you know, having no hair, I think it works, but, oh, my God, I, I look like freaking Uncle Fester now. It's like, oh, my God, what, what, what happened? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Which, which brings me back about like never about the military connectedness, you know, and, and staying connected. As I remember right before the pandemic happened, and we were like doing our passport in uh, Manila. But Manila also has St. Luke's, which is a big veteran area. And I remember I took a picture. And so in 2019, 2017, I started having like uh, health issues and whatnot. And I suffered from alopecia. Uh, where you pretty much lose all your hair. Normally, it started on my beard. I used to grow a majestic beard. <laughs> not my head. Not my head. My head, not so much, but my beard, you know, is a good Nordic uh, sickness. Yeah. And I noticed my hair started falling out along the spot back in like 2017. So I started right around 2019 uh, for the pandemic. Uh, I was like, all right, you know, we're going to go up to Manila, get these passports and stuff like that. But my hair had actually all fallen out across my body. Like everything had been gone. And I remember a veteran community immediately. Um, one of the old MAs from Mobina, uh Five reached out to me. And of course, maybe this might just be the Philippine Chismas Network uh, enacted, but he called me immediately on WhatsApp. He's like, bro, what's going on? They thought I had cancer 
or really? something like that. Because that's how that's how it looks. Yeah. But you know, that that's the part about staying connected. I haven't heard from these guys. It was much like you hitting me up out of the blue. And I find that so uh normal to to do that. Even if it's been like 10, 20 years, you know, reach out to the guys, the cows, and, and just see how they're doing. You know, and I think that's one of the most important things, no matter when it is, even if it's like 3 a.m., you know, reach out, message them. And we're in the most connected uh, generation, and we feel so disconnected, right? right. So it, it's one of those things where those guys reached out to me, and I hadn't heard from them in forever because they actually care. Maybe they're just curious. But, you know, we, we have a lot of health uh, issues in our community and the veteran community and whatnot, and we have lost a lot of techs. Well, like they were healthy a year ago, and then mm-hmm. they're, they're, they passed away. And it's just that quick. You know, I think we really talked about uh, Chris Reed, because he was at, he was the OIC at, uh, at Mayport, and he was switching out with another guy. And yeah, I literally left the military, and then like a year later, he was gone. And yeah. it was just like, it was heartbreaking. And we had just done a, um, a 5K run for another guy right when I exited the military, and for another guy that died. definitely I, I agree that's that's another one of the reasons why I, I actually started this is you know I, I know myself and I'm bad at reaching out to people even when I want to I'll think about it all the time and it, for anybody listening that, that that knows me if you get a text and I haven't I haven't talked to you in a long time and you randomly get a text asking if you have time to talk that's me in my head, I, for some reason, I just like, I don't know. I, I want to talk to people. I enjoy talking to people, but for some reason I'm like, man, everybody's so busy. And I convince myself that like, God, when I, when I get done with this drive, I'll talk to them. When I get to, you know, tomorrow I'll give them a call, you know? And like, it's like, man, every time I keep doing that, it turns into a month, it turns into a year, it turns into whatever. So doing this is like, man, if I want to do this, you know, I'm going to have to actually reach out to people and man, it, it's, it's awesome. It is awesome. Just, just hearing a voice that you haven't heard in a while. It does exactly what you said. It like starts bringing back flashbacks, all these different kind of memories. One right now when we were mud pups, Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> let, let me see if I, if you that was can... a good time. Well, I think we milked that for a while. I think we kind of, we like they were like, we need to get rid of these guys. We need to send them to school. Like, yes. you need to get these guys. God, these guys are trolling. Do you remember that one time? So, like, all right, I'll brag. All right, we'll be in a three. All right, these, these badass EOD sets. I remember, you know, Seaman, Seaman uh, Geron, Seaman Joe, right? I remember these guys. We beat the crap out of you guys on your run, swim, run. We crushed <laughs> you. But then you had to pull a loophole 
because we left another fellow mud pup. I'm sorry he didn't keep up, but we legitimately crushed you, all of you. I remember <laughs> and then exactly what you're talking about. Bay again. Yep. <laughs> I, I was like, oh my God, we finally did it. We finally <laughs> done it. And we, we had actually accomplished something. We literally beat people. We, oh my God, some of the people were so freaking fast. Like, so yeah. fast. Yeah. And it was just like, they would stay, they would rig it. They would purposely rig it so that they, they knew that you would have there. And we finally got ahead running around Coronado Island then hop back in and then swim across from like the golf course or whatever marina or whatever it was and swim across the bay back to the, the mammals. Luckily, they didn't release the dolphins. Oh, that, that would have been utter anarchy <laughs> if they had <laughs> the dolphins on us. But, man, I'm glad I never volunteered for that one. See, we're at least smarter. But, man, getting hit by a dolphin. But, yeah, we made it all the way back to the, the, the loading dock. And they're like, you forgot somebody. And here, oh, I can't remember where he was. I think it was over at Bay War or something like that. I didn't really, really, really know the guy. And I think he forgot somebody. He's way in back. Oh, oh man. Good times. That, that was great. So and then we got beat the crap after we got finished with that. Of course. Of course. <laughs> if I say, you know, when we were mud pups, if I say kayaks, does that bring back a memory? No, no, no. You're going to have to go with this. No, no. My, my brain is okay. has, has blocked it. So, go for it. So we were, we were safety observers or safety kayakers. And uh, I remember Pete Johnson and, uh, and Zot were swimming in. And for some reason you were like, I don't, I don't know if you were talking to them or you were just looking at them, you know, kayak ne- kayaking next to them. And for some reason I was like, I'm going to get him. And I just started kayaking as fast as I can towards you thinking that you would see me and then move, but you didn't. And then my kayak just ran straight up on yours and then onto your body. And they both like stopped swimming and looked back and were like, these guys are morons. And then just continued on. Yeah, pretty much. That, that, that was one of the best parts, you know. And that's the thing, you know, as a young guy, as a new guy, you know, especially nowadays, I mean, you guys, I mean, you, you're, you're, you're the boss now. You know, now you got to deal with these guys. You know, what do you do with them? But, you know, I think that, that creates that, that growth. You know, if you're not allowing your guys to fail and make mistakes, uh, you know, what, what, what are you, what are you actually teaching them, you know, by failure, you know, do that. I, I gripe with my kids nowadays and I, we're, we're Asian schools and Asian schools are like super strict. Like Aiden got a report card back and it was, 99.99 i was like man just can't give him the 100 percent, can you you know just just gotta, gotta, gotta have like decimals after this and it was like that but you know by not allowing your kids to, to fail you know it's just like you know let let them let them um experience this you know it's not going to break their hearts you know and then yeah. same thing with you guys especially training nowadays you know because it's like um uh what was your second podcast you know yeah these, these dudes are smart they're coming in with like master's degrees and and everything else like that it's uh ridiculously how smart and they're way more in shape than we're crossfit what's crossfit you know right. didn't know any of that type of stuff it was like hey UD one says we're doing 800 eight count uh all right well we're gonna do 800 well that's technically a crossfit workout right there boom done <laughs> <laughs> you know there, there's nothing like that you know i think everything's just gotten better i think it just goes back to the knowledge share and the connectivity of of everything yeah, is, is, is but, you know, I mean, you know, I do that now because, you know, I, I got I got a master's degree um, and I'm working on my Ph.D. Uh, so 
slowly about to start out the next semester. And I look at some of the civilian side of it too, and it's so different when you're like American University versus Philippine University. And it's just like, man, it's so nice and different sometimes with just your collection where I'm telling a funny story like you are about ramming each other in kayaks. And here's these like civilian guys like trying to be like doctors and nerds and stuff like that. Like, be it nerds, you know? <laughs> um, you're like, here you're talking about some degenerate type stuff. And it's like, oh man, these guys are too serious, you know? But, right. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy nowadays, you know? It's just it's one of those things. You know, as you go on, but it's across all education. I let guys fail, let, let gals fail, I let them let them learn because that from that experience, you're not going to make that mistake again. But you know, you're going to you're going to grow and develop, and you're going to have fun because you're going to remember those those stories. For me, I'm I'm not going to remember that that story, but I definitely remember something to that effect. Yeah, you know, I, I remember I remember doing a, a, a compression test out there, and they had the, the portable. Uh, this compression chamber out there and they put everybody down on a, on a deeper profile and they narked you guys out. So, you know, there, there was a lot of shenanigans, but again, I think like when we were in, it was that true transition and uh, uh, UD that it is now and everything like that. That's kind of done that, that, that whole like transition and whatnot. So yeah, crazy. You mentioned uh, you got your master's and then uh, going for your doctorate. Um, were you able to use the uh, GI Bill for that? Oh my God! Don't even get me started. <laughs> on the GI Bill. All right, like, got me started. All right, I'm instant like triggered. All right, so like guys, like you pay into the GI Bill, and then if you don't, if you're if you're like let's say you got 16 years left in the military, all right, if you want to give that to your kids, you have to give the Navy. At least you had to. You had to like give like. Uh, four years of extra service for three years. You have to do some type of officer to be able to find that, that GI bill. I don't know if it still exists, yep. but that's what's kind of what's going on in the pandemonium. So it, it's good and it's bad, right? If you already have college, sure, but if you do it yourself, you know, you're going to get E5, DAH, or COLA, wherever you're at in the world or in the U.S., under your code and whatnot. So I started using that gear uh, to do a master's in uh, business and MBA and master's in management and leadership, the HRM type course. And the course was already approved uh, at the university I'm going to here in the Philippines. So that was easy. And it actually worked for the right course. I actually ran into another um, chief, a Filipino chief. Uh, he was actually here doing that because the school cost in the Philippines is so much cheaper than in the States. It's like one hour of credits in the States is like a whole semester here in the Philippines. So you can see why people want to take university here and the knowledge is like really good it's just a really good stuff um from that again but back to our strong ties to the philippines but you know when you use your gi bill they don't help you at all in, in the usda they, they will just be there to sign the form the va registrar's office here they have no clue they, they just learned how to do online banking in the philippines so let alone how to like process it it's so crazy um since like, like I think like less than twenty five percent of the country before the pandemic was bank had a bank account, and really? now at least because of the pandemic, yeah, dude, it's, it's crazy. Not even that; they even have a credit card. It's everything's so cash based. This thing. you have to know somebody to know somebody. It's, it's good and bad, right? Yeah, you can see the the advantages and disadvantages uh, to that. But so I was able to do that because other people had done that. I, I reconnected with another chief, and he was 
he was an SK, so right, so think about like the veterans. It doesn't matter what job you did, that doesn't really mean much when you get out. Doesn't really mean much while you're in. <laughs> um, but he was a SK chief, and I remember reaching out to him, and he was looking at me, and he'd been like in the regular Navy and whatnot, and we've been kind of specialized. You don't realize, and one thing about EOD and special operations, you don't realize how isolated you are. You, you think you connect with a lot of people, but you are, especially because of the way that we've shifted our force, you are such like your own isolation. You don't understand how, how isolated you really are inside that bubble. Like I said, they keep you down and in, and not so much looking out. You know, so, yeah. so that's one of the things I noticed. So I was talking to this guy, and the shared experience across veterans, is he was having the same paperwork issues that I was having. Because you go to the registrar, you're like having them sign off on this. They're looking at you like you have like a freaking thing growing out of your forehead. <laughs> and you're like, but I can't fill it out on my own. But it's the only way to get this done. And I, I swear to this day, I think the VA thinks I work for the university because I had to fill out all my paperwork. <laughs> and get this in and, and and it's just like i don't work for the school i'm just trying to get all this paperwork done and the philippines they don't know how to do it they say they know how to do it but they, they don't know how to do it and it's like that everywhere so i ran into another guy who was a diver then turned EOD and then got out he went uh he's another guy that i recommend i can get you up offline mm-hmm. but uh he was at mobina five as a diver and then became an EOD tech and then he went to stanford and he got i went to stanford mechanical engineering and uh, not talking him up, and then he went and and went to MIT, and I think he's graduating this year from MIT. So he's, he's definitely this guy who's got great knowledge, um, especially from the divers, the uh, EOD spectrum, and he's he's got a an interesting take on EOD. Um, but I was like, man, how are you paying for this? How are you using things? You know, if you've got thirty percent disability, you get the yellow ribbon, right? And you get all those type of things. But I was like, how do you afford a hundred thousand dollar a year school? off the GI Bill and pay up to X and he's like, oh, you have to do this, this, and that. And I think that's one of the big things to put out to your listeners is that you have to really connect to other veterans that have gone to school and gone to these things. They're like me. I'm, I'm a good resource for foreign schools, especially in the Philippines. But you have people that went to actually really high-powered, name-dropping universities, MIT and Stanford. How do you pay for it? Because the GI Bill will only go so far, but there are special programs because if you're able to qualify to get in that school, the GI Bill will cover uh, most of that type of um, education because the worst thing you can do for a guy or gal is deny them education, you know, it's like yeah. pro dev because these guys are going to create amazing things in the future and it's just one of those things. But yeah, my, my wrestling with the VA is ongoing. I'm actually trying to get my PhD because no one's done a PhD. Um, I can be a medical doctor. Uh, I have no interest in that. And probably nobody should ever let me be a medical doctor. It's not like an IED where all the wires are black. Which one do you cut? You just cut them all, right? Can't, can't do the human body. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> getting, getting my PhD, no one's done it. So I'm kind of pioneering that out here. But it's, it's six months in delayed where I'm just like constant. Because you call back to the States and it's always that time zone thing where it's nighttime, your time, daytime, their time. Yeah. Oh, gotta pass you over to there. Gotta pass you over to there. And it's just like, it's just been, it's been a nightmare sometimes to try to get the, the course certified. And, but once I get it, then it'll lay the groundwork for anybody else or their kids that, that want to do that because it, it's great. And that's, that's one of those big things. So if you're still in an active duty and you're listening to this, you know, definitely check your, uh, 
your VA and your GI and make sure that everything's um, there. And also kind of going on a tangent with VA, the Philippines is one of the only countries outside the United States where we have strong VA clinics where you can actually get uh, care that's actually certified by the VA. So if you're one of them who wants to make the Philippines a good retirement spot, you see a lot of uh, ex-militaries because you have these outposts kind of already set up, the infrastructure is already there. So you can kind of do that. And it kind of goes back to when they were a territory and a lot of them served in World War II and throughout uh, the time frame. But it's one, it's one of those things where, you know, use your benefits. The only way I, I learned all this stuff is reaching out to veterans, talking to other veterans and kind of learning the ropes and then just doing my due diligence to actually that, that, that word due diligence. Doing that and trying to be as prepared as possible for all these things because nothing's going to go to plan. Even when you're out of the military, nothing changes. Yeah. <laughs> None of your plans work. <laughs> I definitely didn't expect to be where I'm at now or ever getting a doctorate at all. You know, it's just definitely not on the cards when I was exiting the military. Yeah. Wasn't there. But look at you now. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, no, that's he's. I think Trina said something funny. She's like, oh, you should send your mom your, your diploma. You should go do this. And I'm like, dude, I'm retarded. I shouldn't send anybody anything. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing. It's amazing they gave me anything at all. And again, it goes back to like the, the humbling of what every veteran kind of does. He did nothing special. You listen, I think, I think on one of your podcasts, you mentioned the Band of Brothers. And if you ever watch those interviews, and it gives me like goosebumps like now, like you ever watched those interviews? This guy just thought I was just there to do a job, you know. I did nothing, nothing special. And it's something that really is true of every veteran I've, I've run across, or at least the, the veterans that I like. Um, there's a very humbling type of thing for service, and you know we, we don't we don't think about that. But when we finish up, you know, you're looking, you're going to get that shadow box, that retirement movement. You're getting old, and you're going to see that, and you know, those things that you did, and you don't think about on it. You think about the story. You know, and it's just one of those things where, you know, every little bit that you do, no matter how long you do, you know, it made an impact on somebody's life. Yeah. And, you know, it built and, you know, reach out. Because, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm the most introverted. Not, I, I talk well. It's not like I, I talk, talk well, but I'm the most introverted person. If I could be playing uh, a board game or a computer game or reading a book and just being left alone to my own devices, I'm, I'm 10 times happier yeah. doing that than talking <laughs> to anybody. Like I find that we're very introverted as, as a community. Well, you mentioned a, a couple of times, you know, that you didn't think you'd be doing what, uh, what you are now, you know, while you were in, not really didn't have the, the plan, um, of what you're doing now. Do you think that, uh, you know, that you got out kind of quick without, Really planning the, the no plan. strategy. <laughs> um, do you think no, no that, plan? Just go. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that help or hurt you? I think it's about the same, man. Yeah. Right. It, it, it information's better now. Like like think of YouTube, right? I didn't really start watching YouTube or listening to podcasts. I knew it was a thing, right? I knew it was a way to share knowledge, and it was one of the things. But I really didn't start doing it until after 2015. You yeah. know, pre 2015. Like, I mean, dude, I had a bar cell phone, like a bar cell phone in like mid 2000s. Like it was like, it was, I don't think I got an iPhone until like 2011, 2012. I don't know. I, I couldn't remember when I got it. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I can get the internet for 
<laughs> so I was under the address ball. It's like it's like fire. It's like I didn't know that existed. You know, I didn't know that that that's how far everything comes. That's kind of what I, I related it back to like like YouTube and podcasting knowledge. And now you have guys like yourself and guys like me that will be willing to share and, and talk uh, shop about about uh, planning your planning your financial retirement buying the house using the VA loan, using VA education, using all these benefits that you earned. And that's what I got from the MA um, Al when uh, he hit me up back in uh, Manila, is that it's your benefit. You earned them while you were in. Yeah. And you should have all the advantages that those benefits afford you. What triggers me about VA is, well, if I'm guaranteed 36 months of education, then just freaking pay me. And pay for my school. That's it. So, and give the money to me. Trust the veteran. And I know it's crazy. Like, oh my God, don't trust the veteran. They're crazy. They're going to spend on whatever crazy ass idea. Yeah, well, they're big boys and girls. Let them make the mistakes, but they earn those benefits. And again, it goes back to it because I think a lot of people beat up the past classes. Past isn't there to teach you to get out of the military. You're never, you are never going to ever, ever going to demilitarize yourself. From the military, you are indoctrinated 100%. No matter how you try to forget it, whatever you are, you are stuck in that closet. You will always be recalled back. At least that's what it says on your DD-214. Unless you make yourself fat as possible, yeah, fat. Just go right for that. You know, you're always going to be recalled. You know, that's the game plan, right? And you're never going to have anything worked out. You know, and that's why I think it's one of those things. It's better to make a decision and go back to like. You know, Band of Brothers, is it better to make a decision? Indecision versus not decision. I guess that's one of the big things. Captain Winners, the, you know, maybe uh, the Captain Global, right? When they thought about those things, it's better to make a decision and not be right and then let it go than then spend all the time trying to make the right decision. Yeah. And then execute it. Because that, that time, if I hadn't got out at that time, one, I'd probably be way, way, way more well off because I'd have 17 years in the military. <laughs> but, you know, I started a business, and uh, I, this is nerdy, but you know a lot of our EOD people were nerdy. So I did I did uh, national gathering and collectible card games, and I started a business, and I did it while I was in. I hit it, I, I hit it. And I'll go back to deployment number two on that one. We kind of go back chronologically, but I, I hid this from everybody because it was super nerdy. But what I found was that I was good at trading, and I was really yeah. good at trading the market. Well, now being a geek, being a nerd. Doing that type of stuff, look at the Marvel franchise, the DC franchise, that has become front and center. Yeah. So my exiting the military at that time, I kind of got the head start. So I opened um, a U.S. Uh, thing. I did eBay since 2006. So on my meantime, I was like buying and selling cars there in San Diego, and I would just buy and sell, buy and sell. I just disappear for like days, and I would just go buy out a bunch of cars, and then I would list them on eBay, and then I would sell them. Well, I did this throughout the entire military. Then take your bonus and invest it, right? Well, I didn't invest in the S and P 500, but you know I invested in these rectangular cardboard squares, <laughs> and I, I sold them, you know, like a nerd. And um, and I, I did I did a lot of that type of stuff. So when I was leaving the military that final year, I put myself to the test, and I, I think I raked in. It wasn't a lot of money, but I raked in like almost uh, six figures that year on top of my military income, that final year, that 2014, 2015 through eBay. And I was like, go, 
like, let's try this, so let's do this. I still had a backup plan. I applied to a, a couple three-letter agencies, and I was working their process. They're just very slow, but, you know, um, the exit plan started to develop more as I got into that final six months. But, man, when I was leaving that the, the, the shore debt, and they'd already changed the lofts on my ass, and I was like, hey, this, this combo doesn't work anymore. I just want to say goodbye. All right, and you guys do. Thought we were friends, you know. <laughs> um, That's awesome. And yeah, so it was so it was awkward. It was like the combo doesn't work, but I know how to jimmy the door. Shouldn't have sent me to lock fixing school, should you? <laughs> I'll teach you. <laughs> but you know, um, it was one of those things is that I had that thing of like, all right, well, you're out. Thanks for your time. And that's that's what it is. Like you know, one of one of one of the guys who's out now, Nap ran into him when I was doing chief and when we were doing chief selection and everything, he had one of the most, most profound things because I was wrestling with this. I knew that I was in my, my, uh, um, window and or to get out. And he was like, look, he got, got all the chief selects in the room. And he was like, look, this is how the military is. You got a bucket of water. You put your hand in it and then take your hand out. That's exactly how it is being in the military. You know, so when you have like these exit plans, you can only plan so much before yeah. you kind of get set on the path that you are. Because I look at myself then and now, and now that I'm out, I think I grew more as a person. I think I'm more, uh, I think I'm less stubborn. I'm still stubborn, still <laughs> stubborn as hell. Still the same person. But I, I started to really refine that, that person who I wanted to be. And I did that through leadership and development. Had I not been in the military, had I not had the VA experience, had I not done all these type of uh, programs i wouldn't have been able to get to where i'm at nowadays so you know that's, that's kind of where it is with uh with where i'm at now and that's what i did i started my own business um i don't know i, I think these guys throw around the ceo terms so much but i'm just a manager i'm just joe uh i sell cards i buy cards i actually had a guy while we're on this call right now messaging me trying to shit me like 200 kilos of cards <laughs> now he's still a nerd buying <laughs> So much cards. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things of, of networking and, and, and whatnot is that I didn't have much business knowledge and I probably should have used my VA. Had I been a smarter Joe, I should have went to an MBA school instead of messing around with like anything else. I should have went and done an MBA right after I got out of the military because it's, it's not really too bad. Like, you know, you're in a transition zone anywhere. You don't really know what you want to do. Or you're like me, where you're like, yeah, we're going to the Philippines. We're totally doing this. You're like, uh, should we do this? Is this the right <laughs> idea? You know? Um, but so I was just head down focused and, you know, again, drawing on the military would keep you down and in. So my down and in was build a website, get an LLC, get funding, go start a website do all these type of things, but had I not been in the military, done all the planning of, of EOD and whatnot, of planning operations and, and whatnot, I wouldn't have had that, that groundwork. So that, that's, that's kind of what my goal is. So I've done that. So I've owned the business for eight years now, man, like knock on wood, you know, own the business eight years, U.S. and Philippines. And now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm buying cards and I'm selling them through uh, TCG Player, which got bought by eBay. So I was really front running all of this so now it's got some nerd uh aficionado because big investment money is now flown into this industry so i do that my my son is a 
addicted to Pokemon cards, and I'm like, please don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go down this line. <laughs> Dude, my kid is um, all about that now, too. It's, oh, my god. Yeah? Oh, he is. So he's, he's, this, he's this pumped. Michelle asked him, when you lose your first tooth, which he actually lost today, do you want money Ooh. or do you want Pokemon cards? Without hesitation, Pokemon cards. It's like, great, oh my goodness. Great to hear. I'm glad the addiction continues. <laughs> oh. it, it's so much fun, man. Yeah. It's so much fun. It's, get involved with your kids' hobbies, too. I don't know if you've kind of been working on that, kids. Our kids get bigger. I, I swear, I ran a board game store and cafe, and I never play a game with my kids because my kids are savages, like utter savages. It's like you can't play Monopoly that way. You can't play Snakes <laughs> and Ladders that way. You can't, can't, you can't even play like Pokemon with you. Like, what are you doing? It's just like, oh, my God, but you know, get involved with the kids. And that's kind of what I did. Is That was the trade-off. And you talk about that pinnacle of, like, dude, my heart was pounding still. Like, do I get out? And then the military gives you 90 days once you're out to get back in. And I'm you're pretty sure you still have a break in service. I still have no idea what the hell break in service actually means. Yeah. You get to talk about food service and all this other crazy nerd talk. And I'm like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. I, like, I was cheap. No way. I think I was like UD2 at best, you know. <laughs> let's stay, let's stay right, right at UD2.5 maybe, you know. Um, but, you know, it, it was one of those things where that, uh, you know, you, you never know what you're, what you're, what you're going to get with that. So, you know, get involved with your kids. But had I not gone out, I would have not got to see my kids grow at their most important stage. But then I also thought about it from like Trina's perspective, from the wide perspective. You've got to have your wife. You gotta have somebody like that. You're doing all these deployments. You're on call like forever, even on a short day. And especially like the short that I was at, it was super busy uh, with uh, USO calls. And you know, yeah, you gotta have a strong base. But you know, that was the trade-off of good pay, job security. You're gonna have a, a easy retirement or whatnot. It's never easy, but you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much course is set. Where go out in the civilian world and. Yeah, well, am I going to get paid this month, or do I pay this debt down? You know, yeah. what, what, what do we got going on the book? You know, and it's, just, it's one of those type of things. So that, was, that was the preparation part. I know you've been doing a lot with uh, with growing things now, like peppers. Oh my god, I'm addicted to hot the hot peppers. So yeah, so we'll, we'll kind of like I'll just recap. We'll start. All right. So after I finish the Philippines deployment, we'll recap that. Uh, I spent some time working supply. Um, I had a lot of good things. I worked with another SK and uh, another one of my good friends who's still active and still stuck on Guam. I think he's finally leaving Guam after like a, a whole career on Guam. <laughs> a great guy. I reached out to him, helped him out again. Out of the blue, always reach out to everybody. So I, I did that, and then I got on uh, an NCM team, uh, which was great. Had an interesting choice of, of uh, leadership both good and bad. I saw a lot of guys, once the leadership kind of swapped out, it kind of got into transient leadership. And then I, I wanted to do everything in my possible to go into the soft side. Um, did a lot of J-sets, uh, not J-sets, but did a lot of um, joint training with a lot of the Indian divers, uh, Singapore, Australian. We did a lot of uh, cool training stuff there. They had a lot of great things they could teach because they're processes to become their divers are so different than ours sometimes because they have a lot of similarities and yeah. you can kind of learn a lot as you cross train and and then i was able to finally get my uh, reward and i got over to uh, a soft team and i think it was one of the, the best training experiences we always we always kind of glorify the soft team 
I heard that the guys now are just glorified x-ray technicians. That's just through the rumors I've heard. I think they're just, they want to do cool guy stuff, but I heard they're just really good at taking good pictures. That's, that's what I heard. Now. No <laughs> oh my God, I love these are the crap out of here. No shots fired. No shots fired. Just find me in the Philippines. Forget me. Um, you know? <laughs> But yeah, so you know, I did that. So I did did the this thing, and, and it was a really good thing. It was actually an awesome thing. We'll go back to leadership, right? I was EOD two at that time frame. I was with another EOD two, great guy, uh, definitely way more knowledgeable, better EOD tech than I'd like ever be. Really down to earth dude, um, awesome guy. And I had really senior guys. One guy came from uh, uh, Mobile three before that at the with LDO route, which is great. And talked about that a lot of good experiences from that. Kind of came from that upper echelon type of uh, service as well. Had some experiences to draw on there. You know, we had we had a, we had a good group in that box. And that was like a cage. It was pretty much like nobody went inside that place. I don't know why. It was, it was great and bad at the same time. It really kept you in that box. Um, so we did that. But when we uh, went to our team training and everything like that, because we had such an experience of guys, maybe we were just that. Maybe we were just that good. How about that? I'm just going to go with that. We were just that good of a team. I like it. Uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, we were just that good. We didn't need training. But one of the leadership issues that I didn't really think back on, and it goes back to my stubbornness that, that you kind of brought up, back to the trash bag thing, is I was definitely a junior EOD2 senior tech at that time. And the other EOD2 definitely had the previous experience, worked with a lot of guys that we were going to work with, definitely was, should have been the LPO. And I didn't realize how big of a thing it is because I think a lot of people in the military think that other people kind of crab mentality. In the Philippines, they call it crab mentality, where you kind of crawl over each other and eat each other, and it's every man and woman for themselves. I had, again, for back to me, my stubbornness is probably just due to my, like, not paying attention sometimes to, like, social clues, but I had taken the, the test for EOD1. And right when we got to Virginia Beach to do a lot of the, the training pipeline, I got promoted to give one, and he did not do the, some of the past uh, experiences. And I became, and it was an awkward thing between like my senior chief and my OIC because he was the person that should have been the LPO because of the experience, but because I had gotten the military rank, it created a rift, and I didn't know it created this rift. I was very apologetic because I was like, dude, I don't want to take your job. I can't do your job, and I'm not ready to do your job. I, You just tell me where to go, and I will do it. I'm good at taking things apart, definitely not putting them back together. <laughs> take anything apart. I can x-ray. I can do nerd stuff. I can, I can do all this stuff, but I don't know what you know. And I got thrusted into the LPO position because of that, because they asked another guy who worked at um, Pack Electronics, another guy that had been experienced, um, former senior chief, and it was the dilemma of, you know, this guy got promoted, but he's definitely junior to the other guy, and they said it would look bad, and again, it go back to the bureaucracy of uh, the military, it looked bad on my eval if I wasn't the LPO, and in the other EOD2 was the LPO, so it created this really weird junior level risk. And I, I really didn't know this was a, was a problem. I, I never thought about it in the military. I was just like, I'm just EOD whatever, I'm here to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like any other person should be. I'm here to work. 
And I didn't know this created this type of rift, but between me and the other guy, and I think we, we patched it up pretty well, but I, I didn't know this. But it was one of the leadership challenges because, again, as I'm working on my PhD in leadership and management, it's these things you don't think about when you're leading guys of what type of subconscious things. And I think your other guy in the podcast, too, brought us like, I'm not going to write a shit to a counseling shit to, because you don't like this dude's personality. And that was the coolest leadership thing that I was like, that's an awesome dude. That dude bucked the senior chief and said, no, nah, man, you're full of shit. I don't, I don't like what you're doing. We shouldn't do this to our guys. And I think those guys were trying to help me in my career. And I think it's the only reason I made cheese and Matthew Tech in the time that I did. I did it in like seven and a half years. And if it wasn't for those guys having my back and helping me out, right time, right place, more so than anything else, they, they created that. But that, that's a big leadership challenge that, you, that, that we had there. So we so we did that. So we patched that up pretty good, and we were able to do that. Dude, that team that team training was awesome. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. I still look back on. It. We got to go to you know tackle electronics, learn how to break into stuff, disarm everything. That was that was really cool. And then we did all the national labs, which is just the not only the history of the national lab. Um, my, my my dad works for the Department of Energy. And, and whatnot, and you know, still in government like forever, we got still like a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just being able to go out to those national labs and, and the history of how they created a lot of the stuff that they did um, was really good. And it was good having other people that had already been through these courses so that it really made for a really enjoyable uh, training environment. It was really good because you could kind of use and lean on other UV expertise to get all the stuff done. But the training environment, we got to go to, you know, like Dugway and INL and Los Alamos and Sandia. And I remember this one time we were in Sandia and we were doing one of these projects and we cut into this house. It was like a cave complex or whatever it was, one of the training things. And I remember looking at my chief, chief, I looked over at him and we cut in right at the big loudspeaker that was supposed to be like the buzzer, like you messed up. Yeah. And I just looked over at him and he looked over at our OIC. And this gave like the head nod, and I was like, "All right, alarm speaker out. You can do whatever you want now. You're never gonna hear it." Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> and the train, the train, the training thing was the loudspeaker's explosive. You would do that in real life, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. You would take it out too. That's justification, but man, it was so great because that that cave complex was so long, and I was so tired already. But I, it was great. But yeah, dude, those are those are those are great stories that I, I I remember from from that time frame. And I don't think it discusses anything in the TTP. It's just cool stories of like you know training environments of just like oh I ended up here. Yeah. You know, it was one of those one of those crazy parts that that did get to do, and you only get to do that because I ran into another guy who got medically retired. He was working out there at Sandia. You know him from the the short dead that Mary. He was working out then, but I also ran into him at advanced IEDs. Oh, yeah, somewhere in that time frame between going to this team, I went to advanced IEDs at Eglin, which was really cool. I ran into the same guy, our proctor and underwater as a civilian contractor uh, there. And I was like, man, you're the reason I'm an EOD tech now. Thanks for not failing me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, 
But yeah, it, it, was, it was really good. But advanced IEDs, and it all leads into this. It's like everyone tries to go to the soft pipeline, but just basic EOD school, uh, basic the knowledge that you get, the knowledge transfer that you share, all build every year you're in, and you're constantly having to refine it year after year. Like we're, you're a constant nerd going to school, and that, that's what makes EOD so enjoyable. As long as you can keep guys doing it, 20 years will go by in no time, right? Yeah. You know, I mean. Actually, you're right. It's over, right? It's 20 years. Crazy. Yeah, it seems like at the beginning it goes slow, but that's just because you're learning. You know, you're every day you're learning yeah. something new. So it's like, it seems like it's going slower. And then, I mean, I'm, you're learning up until the end, but after a while, there's, you, you get to actually do. And then, once you're starting to do and not, and you, you don't have to just spend 24 hours a day in the books, then yeah, it seems like you turn around and you're like, Oh, it's, it's, it's almost done. <laughs> yeah, dude, it, it, it's crazy. You know, how fast time goes, but yeah, so I do the soft teams. We did that. Then we deployed with those guys to the, we just mentioned the PACOM area. So it's done. And I was hanging out. I had a, had the world's most expensive mango shake. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the world's most expensive mango shake. I remember uh, saying, "Hey, I'm going to be out of contact for a while. Uh, you might not hear from me for a bit, but I'm okay." Uh, and then I was like, "I remember giving a call, and I was like, well, I don't think anything happened, but I got a mango shake. I was like super addicted to mango shake at the time, and I loved mango shake." And just, I just the amount of effort that, that this government will do to protect uh, people is, is, is just amazing. And that being a part of that, because this was right around the time of Benghazi. So and we kind of talked about, about Benghazi. So we had just kind of shifted that mission set to help and support uh, a lot of our assets. Because, it's, again, the environment is always changing. And that's one of the things that EOD's always been able to be at the tip of the spear is that we're able to adapt and integrate with anybody you put us with. There's not a team or environment or whatever that we can't adapt to. You know, diving, jumping, those are all just ways to get to our our, our job. Our mission then begins then. So those are all ways to get there. But yeah, so I had the world's most expensive mango shake one time. I thought it was going to be like really cool. We were all like really piped up, and then I was probably some training exercise. You know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, so it, it just is one of those things that that, that that happened. And then go back to like how I, I got that about how Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, and everything. So our, our team sergeant uh, that we were attached to, our team sergeant, like the guy head running, running, running the running the the the, the team. We were doing uh we were doing an exercise on Guam. And I, I, Aiden, Aiden, my, my son, my second was just about to be born. And this is about, about the amazingness of my team and the command at Mobina 5. I can't ever thank those guys enough that had our back. Um, they had arranged that it just happened to stars freaking align. I think that's like our, our career. I think our career is kind of near that where the stars align. And I got to go to the AFO, the advanced forces type, uh, part, which is so super cool guy type thing and on the meantime I got to take uh, 10 days leave for my son I got to see my son board and then I got to go roll right back into full 
on month-long missions. So that, that's like the coolest part of the job. And I think that's where you get into that higher level tier of the military where only that kind of relates to, yeah. where you're able to be like, one day you're having a kid born and the next you're like doing this, you're fast roping from a helicopter or doing like whatever onto this building. You know, so I ran into the, the team sergeant inadvertently. So I'd broken away and I had to do my nerd stuff uh, on leave. And I went to one of the card shops there on Guam. I looked over and I saw this other bald guy. And I was like, yo, yo. And he looked at me and his, his eyes are like, like as big as like saucers, like gigantic ass eyes. Because I found out his dirty little secret that he was a closet case nerd. That's awesome. And nobody knew about it. Nobody on the team knew about it. And, and it was just great. Of course, you know, it was just great seeing this, this big, burly, like, Green Beret, head of everything. And here he is playing Magic the Gallery. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it was great. And then I probably told his time to not say anything. Oh, I won't tell anybody. I told everything. <laughs> Got him good. <laughs> gotcha. He was, was an awesome dude. So, yeah, it, it was really good. But it just shows you the connectivity, you know, guys and everything like that. You know, don't hide what you're passionate about, gals. You know, gals and guys, you know, just everybody. Is that don't, don't hide what you're passionate about, you know, and enjoy it because, you know, you might find out that as you get older, your kids are into it or this is into it and you draw on those, those, those things and, and whatnot. So, oh, that was a great, that was a great, uh, uh, third deployment lead in the mobile unit, uh, there. We had a, a crazy accident and it goes back to the care, but we were, we were, um, going on one of the, one of the training exercises there. And it was at night. It was like, like I don't know, like midnight. And like it was always in the morning. Of course, we like work vampire hours. And uh, we we came on this, and they were like, "All right, get out on the right side of the helicopter only," because we had like four helicopters coming on this building. And they're like, "Get out on the right side of the helicopter." And if you're on the other side, get on the left side. Like, oh well, this guy wearing the cookie saw, this gigantic still saw, poor dude didn't get out on the right side. And when that rotor wash kicked in, you know, this is about the real world of like how it can go from training to real world in like a heartbeat. Dude got out on the wrong side of the helicopter and he got blown 40 feet off his roof with a gigantic ass cookie saw on his back and fell 40 feet to the ground. And luckily he didn't die, you know, but this is like how real world and how serious a lot of your, your training things, you know, think about it. And one of the best things is between working with those guys and our guys, is that we're always prepared uh, to immediately roll right into Kazidak and, and go right into that. And that's what makes the training just top tier, no matter where you're at. And I, I think that's uh, one of the takeaways to take from the civilian side of planning your exit is you have these skill sets. You don't know it. And some of us, you know, don't realize it at the time, but, you know, there's just the ability to help and render aid and still continue on with the mission. Is, is just what makes the American military so premier. It, it, it's so, so, so good how it is, you know. I mean, that goes back to going back to team training with the other guy that I was with. It was me and him doing a lot of the stuff. It's the junior guys on the team, you know, not the chief of the OIG and, and whatnot. We were always the ones doing a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the stuff. So I have two funny stories with that one. So we have team training one where, uh, he gets impaled by a rebar. So we were busy doing clearing. And he ever put NVGs on. And these aren't the, like, the cool four tubes. These are the two tube NVGs. And you can't see anything in them. 
and we're in one of the training areas out there, I think Point Loma or somewhere in that area. And we're out in one of those those little bunker areas. And the the training guys, you know, they just forgotten they, they didn't put a uh, a steel part over it and dude dude just stepped right in there. It was like a pungi stick of, of rebar and he jammed right into his shin. Just right in the meaty part of his shin and just right in there. And of course what we did is we had our R and T guys, are they still R and T? I think they're still R and T, right? You know? Yeah. Our R and T guys we we, we stopped, we paused the exercise for a little bit and we rendered immediate medical aid to this guy and then what we do, we continued right along with the project. And I think that's one of the things if you ever listen to a lot of people and I don't think a lot of people do, but that's the most realistic training you're gonna get about, you know, you had a plan and then it went to crap and then now we're gonna do this, we're gonna take care of this guy, we're gonna cast it back and then we're gonna go roll right into that. And that's why I said that that dude finished that whole thing. And then I think like the next day we did our our full mission profile where we free falled in um, and then we went and they met us on the ground and that, that, that dude just trooped right on food after getting impaled by that freaking piece of rebar. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's it crazy. But dude, yeah, there's another part. Yeah, we did, uh, we did, um, well, what's, what's the advanced free fall course out there in Eloy? Yeah, no, no, nothing, nothing Meridian one or Meridian or wherever it is. Yeah, the PPT, that one. So we out, we're out there in Eloy and it was like 3 a.m. And I, I'm blind. I don't know. People were making fun of me. Like, how can you be on a soft team? can't see i'm like look i can see from like here to 10 feet away that it's perfect for room clearing i don't need to see far everything's up close i'm gonna get teased like crazy big old nerd glasses and uh we were out there it was like 3 a.m and i was like all right gigantic thing out there in Eloy. i know we've been to the Eloy drop zone where they were there kind of doing it's like 10 miles from the u.s mexican border and Freaking, there was like this is mound of concrete. And it was like full of red chem light. And then it was like, here's my OIC with a nice bright green chem light. And here's like right in between. And I'm like, oh man, it's foggy. You know, you're probably kind of scared because you're like, you're jumping out and you're like, oh my God, I just want to make sure I make it back to the drop zone. I just want to make it back, <laughs> carry yeah. my kit and everything. So I'm flying in. And I see the red, I see him. And I start lifting up my feet and I just land straight on my butt. Like I, I could not tell. I can't, I can't depth perception because I'm, I'm, I'm nearsighted or so far side. I get it all confused. I can't see far when it gets past a certain distance and everything's kind of blurry at that, that point where it's like, ah, depth perception not needed. Yeah. And so I lift my feet up and I remember him looking at me and he was like, why the hell would you pick your feet up? I'm like, dude, I can't see. I saw green, I saw red, and I was like, go in between. Like, go in between. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to hit the red because that's concrete, and I don't want to hit you. So I like, go right in between. And it was such a good trade. But yeah, now I go back to go back to like VA, and I bring up that story only because like now that as, as I get uh, VA uh, disability, and it's probably why I have no disc in my lower back. Oh, no. I have zero disc. And I don't know uh what it is but document a lot of the accidents because the only thing we had out there at that time was a pj and we don't have any medical things and if you're not the one to go to medical at training unit one and and do those type of things you know it wasn't like with like with like the other guy who really had like something big you don't think about these type of injuries that can affect you later on 
But I didn't know I didn't have this until I was in the Philippines, already separated from the military. I went to go get an MRI for my shoulder, which I knew I had already messed up and I had already mobility issues on that. And I went and did an MRI and sat in the tube and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, you have no, you have no dish. Your, your nerves, like it was like weird. Like you know when the doctors, they're like looking at you and they have like the first start of an x-ray and they look at you and I remember the one, she's like, oh, I do like a CrossFit people and they like hurt themselves and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, CrossFit people, yeah, great, good for them, you know? <laughs> and she comes back in and she's like, your x-ray, hold on, are, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. What, what's wrong? You, you have no dish, like your nerves, like your spinal cord, like it's like sitting there between the bones. I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna go talk to this other doctor. I'm like, is everything okay? I look at the tree and I'm like, is everything okay? Like, you haven't heard like a dude, like, I'm fine. Talk to the doctor. It's like apparently the way like my, my vertebrae sitting on everything is there, there's no disc anymore. And I think it was really just one accident where I just felt the compression. But dude, I didn't sit down for like a week. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the net alone. Cause you know, you've been out to PPT and everything. And it's just constant, like, jump 10 times a day at least. You know, you're always doing rock, doing this. And then do fun jumps and you work from, like, 11 a.m. to, like, 10 a.m. So you're there. And I got on the next load and everyone was making fun of me. And I'm just sitting there standing and hunched over. And I'm like, why aren't you sitting down, Joe? I, I landed on my ass. And it really hurt. So I'm just going to finish out these next 10 jumps. And then I'm going to go to bed. My ass really hurt, and then so I think that's what it was. So yeah, when you get to the civilian side, when you talk to military doctors who kind of understand what we've been through, and you go to the civilian side, they think like you're gonna die. They thought like my spinal cord was gonna like sever itself, and I was gonna be like paralyzed from like the legs down. Yeah, you know. So yeah, it's crazy. But all this training stuff, and I go back to the training accident that happened where on the soft team is that you know just the medical care, and that's why I, I love that we really really put that into our, our training SOPs and the guys really make sure we have um, a mind strike. We always have a man down. We always have this crap because that, that crap really happens yeah. all the time. If you're not preparing for that type of stuff, you're not preparing for your OIC in chief that does not exist. You know, it, it's just, you're, you're just not training the guys, right? You know, you have to really train the, 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 the junior guys to assume that responsibility, which then builds back on the Philippines deployment, is that being an E5 basic tech that doesn't know anything, left behind the ears, doesn't know anything, but being with other ones, if you don't have that experience letting the guys fail and, and learn from their mistakes and their failures, you know, within the reason, that they're never going to develop that independence, that, that stubbornness. I mean, some are born stubborn like me or, or stupid like me. They're just going to continue on no matter what. But, you know, you have to build that into the guys nowadays because they may be smarter and they may be stronger, but they don't have that grit that we kind of develop over time. They're lacking that it's a grit. You know, you have IQ, you have EQ, and the, some of the times, yeah, you're really smart and you're really strong, but sometimes your common sense isn't like, hey, you found the gigantic bullhorn that's the explosive. Just cut it out. Why <laughs> yeah. would you go through all this rigmarole to do whatever? solve the damn problem, you know? And that brings me back to uh, another story, but back to story time. So story time, the most embarrassing thing I had was here we are, hot hot stuff, EOD, soft team, doing everything, everything's smooth, selling, minimal injuries, we're kind of beat up, you know? She's kind of hurt his knee, 
Uh, other guy gets impaled by rebar. I busted my butt. You know, like we're all kind of beat up by the time we show up at the training unit for our thing. Luckily, it was a very condensed one because we've been able to execute a lot of other training requirements through the, the time thing. But I remember we were doing a, an exercise down in San Diego there, and it was the most embarrassing failure about checking your tools, knowing your tools. And I was working with one of our tools, and it was a, a hostage rescue type assault follow-on and uh, some of the CBRN type stuff. And I remember the most embarrassing thing is watching the, the CO who had been the XO at Mobile Unit 5 and then our CO at Mobile Unit 5. So you have all these people watching you, right? You know, I think they talk about a lot of this stuff with like shooting, but the same thing goes on with EOD stuff. And here you are, hot stuff EOD, tacking out this like device and you're taking care of it and everything's going good. And then all you hear is beep. And you're like, oh my god, what did I do? I was like, everything's good. And I remember I looked at um, looked at Josh. Uh, I looked at at uh, the other at Matsuji. I looked at him and I was like, what did I do? <laughs> it was just the most like egg on your face. Come to find out, our tools had been so rusted, and we, we, they they just been so that the connection didn't get made. Every, everything procedurally was good and just it didn't work and it happened to be at the time where everybody was watching yeah. and it was just like what a noob what a noob I remember looking over and I was like I'm so embarrassed right now <laughs> oh, that's amazing <laughs> but you know what I did is I got brand new tools for everybody and it was awesome and I got it for the whole company it wasn't nice. just for our team because again you can't just be selfish and get it just for your team you got to get it for everybody. And then you have to share it to the other guys on the multiple teams or the MCM teams. you got to share that knowledge because the mistake you made is going to save somebody else's life. Not just, oh, only cool guys get this stuff. You have to go talk to your R&T and you have to go talk to the mobile teams and be like, hey, man, check your tool. Check this tool for this. Because I was doing it and luckily it was training. And I did everything procedurally right. I've been using these things throughout the whole training pipeline. It just got old and it rusted out and yeah. it didn't make a good contact. And that's a stupid way to die, stupid way to fail, but it's a very real life thing. And that's why you always have to take care of your gear, take care of your teammates, you know, lean on that type of stuff. But yeah, that's a great, that's a great one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh my God. I felt, I felt so tiny, dude. <laughs> I was like, what a noob. Yeah. <laughs> That, that kind of stuff yeah, only happens when everybody's show. watching, though. Oh, it specifically happens when everybody's watching. Oh man, that that was a good time. So yeah, that that was that was the the wrap up with the 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 soft team. I don't think there was any other crazy stories. We did a really good thing. We pretty much we were in that that limbo, and I think it's like a lot of people kind of talk from the the NSW side or, or the other side. But as like the UD side, like we play a really important role when it comes to training but that was that 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 ebb and flow everybody was kind of changing for the Benghazi type stuff but it wasn't anything that we hadn't been preparing for already but we kind of got stuck in that limbo of are we going to do this and how do we fit into this and where do where do we do uh x y and z uh type things but that, that was one of the coolest things is to seeing that adaptability to everybody because i swear to god once you get on that type of deployment and you get attached to the team your phone just goes off constantly. And it's like you said, like you did, you did a Philippine deployment. It was kind of different. 
and that was just probably due to the the year you went to. Maybe there was other extenuating circumstances. We went and did this where historically they've been doing other types of things, but it doesn't make it any less real because yeah. you never know when you're going to go have the world's most expensive mango shake at 3 a.m. in the morning, and you're like, oh, crap, are we ready to do this? You yeah. know, you know, and that, that, that's always be prepared and always have like eight pairs of gear and, and everything like that. But that, that's one of the big, big takeaways of, of just having like a plan. So then after I got that, I had Aiden, and uh, we went over to uh, the shore deck, went to uh, Mobius 6, Deck Panama City. Uh, that was awesome. Um, I had lost a lot of weight, which I'm already like a skinny guy as it is. I remember I checked in, I was like 155 pounds. It goes back into, I'm going to streamline some more stories. And you talked about, uh, write down memorable moments and or people. So this is when I got introduced to our, our team chief at, uh, at Panama City. Awesome dude. And I checked in and I like looked at me. He's a, he's a big, big dude. And, uh, and I was like, how much do you weigh? So I like, busy doing this deadlift thing. There's everything. I'm like, uh, I'm 155. Like, bullshit. You know, 155. I'm like, nah, man, I'm 155. I only weigh 155 pounds. Get <laughs> me <laughs> on the scale. But, dude, I went on like a straight weight program training, dude. I packed on. So I got up to like 185 pounds by the time I was out of there. It was like, nice. it was like crazy. And you're like, well, how do you lose so much weight? But if you think about like vampire hours, and this is something that anybody works like high-powered jobs and whatnot. It's like, dude, when you're on that type of team, and yeah, you get to work out. Like, it was pretty much like train, shoot all day, train, go to the gym, yeah. or vice versa. Or EOD, don't go to muster, don't show up for any of that stuff, then show up, at, and when you want to show up, then, then train, yeah. <laughs> then, go to, then go to it. You know, that, that was another thing. Um, but... Yeah, you know, when I, when I show my, my body, my metabolism just cannibalizes itself because, like, when do I eat? You're always working night shift. Or if you're, hey, you got to pack this conic box out now. you got to go pack this ISU, and then you got to unpack all this ISU, and you got to pack all this ISU, and your body doesn't know whether it's night or day. And you're like, do I, do I get Subway for, like, the 10th time? Is there a Subway in this space? Oh, i got to go over this one. All right, what's open now what can i eat you know yeah so yeah you know i, I lost a lot of weight i remember guys were like saying that they were like you lost a lot of weight and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> but yeah when i checked into death and i was like 155 pounds so we went on an immediate like strength training program deadlifting to stupid levels which also might be why i don't have any discs in my back <laughs> i was probably more like a cat you know you lift you lift with your back that's what i've heard if you want to make it tougher and get the best of your workout, you lift with your back. Yeah, that's where your Total biggest muscles are. <laughs> totally, right? I mean, it's science, you know. I, I can't can't be refuted, you know, it's science. So, so yeah, so, yeah. So, so we did that. I put on like 30 pounds and, and, and whatnot there. So it was a great thing. But I think the story that you and I kind of knew each other uh, with this was, well, you know, Super Bowl party and the guys, and this is where I got in there. We'll go segue into agriculture on this one. So hot peppers. So at this time, people were doing, I don't know if they were on the ghost pepper or the Carolina Reaper. I can't remember. Carolina Reaper was kind of creeping up, and it's apparently one of the most genetically engineered, like, type of thing. And I say genetically in the way that they breed peppers. It's like a little nerd talk of how you breed them from flower to flower to flower and, and whatnot. And so these guys were literally taking Carolina Reapers, chopping them in half, 
and then taking Reaper saw or maybe habaneros, habaneros, and then taking Carolina Reaper saw, and then they're just eating them like straight. And I don't know if you've had like a sliver of a Carolina Reaper, but it makes you want to like it puts you back into like Griffin Group where you're doing the the Griffin secure. I don't know if you got to go to that 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 yeah. that's cool where you get maced in the face and then you put on the mask and then you get shot with paintballs in the crotch. And <laughs> it was like that all over again. So here we are, brand new. And this goes back to my stubbornness about take out the trash bag, sir. Here you go. <laughs> get out of here. Um, so I go there and I'm like, all right, I want to be matcha. I like hot stuff. Yeah, you've been eating peppers. And screw your peppers. I'll eat that. And they're kind of like, yo, man, you don't really have to do this. Super Bowl party. Here we are. Wise kids running around. EOD1, dumbass, myself is like, yeah, give me this pepper. I'm going to eat it. Mmm, good pepper. Not feeling so good down in my belly. <laughs> Here I am outside of the back of his lawn. <laughs> He's got the hose. And I am just yakking, just like a dog. <laughs> He's got his dog. <laughs> He's got his dog right there. I'm by his pool. And I am just throwing up just to my guts and like it's like go back inside train your uh your husband's puking <laughs> <laughs> just couldn't hold it down oh my god oh my god that, that was crazy that was, that was crazy pepper time yeah, but yeah I, thought, I, I really got into like doing like peppers and stuff like that yeah i did this did the, the sword that it was pretty easy from from that thing we did a lot of uso calls um, got to retouch with another guy uh, from working the Detonateport guys uh, nice. in region southeast. We were starting to do a lot of the active, that's when the active shooter type things were kind of coming into the context yeah. where the people were starting to really become aware, like, hey, we really got to start preparing for active shooter. And so as a EOD, what do we do? You know, so we provided a lot of stuff with that. Um, so that was good. And then we started having these crazy USO calls where it's like, hey, a Pensacola call. Uh, we got this like deer object kind of just sitting here at the shoreline. You guys want to come take a look at it? Yeah, 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 sure. I'll come, come, I'll come take a look at it. And we go drive out there, and it's a freaking like Revolutionary War, Civil War type cannibal. I don't know a lot of people know the cannibal. Cannibals can be kind of dangerous and, and whatnot. And it's just rusted to hell. And we got to use one of our uh, tools. And again, uh, again, this, I, I don't realize this about EOD and maybe just hopefully things have changed and maybe you can make change or people that hear the podcast. But a lot of people didn't have access to the one tool that I had access to. Well, the Shore Desk had this tool. Like it, it had an x-ray device that none of the guys knew. So I thought as, a, as an EOD one, I, I wasn't the LPO on this thing. I was just EOD one, do 3M or not do 3M and try to avoid doing 3M as much as possible. And I was like, hey, we have all these tools because I, I, I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm a curious dude. And I like, I looked into all, I, I tore apart the entire supply thing. And I was like, wow, we have all these really cool tools. You guys didn't know about this cool stuff? So I got to take the guys out to the range and we did um, uh, shape charge uh, charges on this to burrow out some of the things. And it was, it was one of the really, really cool things that we did for this uh, uh, cannibals, we started handing a lot of cannibal type things, and it was good to teach that because we also got to work with uh, Panama City uh, EOD guys on the police force. 
So like it's, it's just cross knowledge training, and it was one of those really good parts uh, to to do. So yeah, I, I was really excited to be able to see that uh, training knowledge transfer into real world uh, application for that. And then we did, of course, we had a couple calls to Meridian, Mississippi, that's where the the Air Wings at for a lot of training. There's a bunch of players up there, and then we, uh, me and uh, the other guy, he's now a Master Chief now. We uh, met up. And we flew down to Guantanamo Bay. And I swear, anybody's been, have you been down to Guantanamo Bay? No, I haven't. Uh, dude, so Gitmo, other than just being a crazy prison, and that, that's a crazy movement thing, kind of kind of got crazy, weird things down there. But that place is full of cactus and iguanas. So like you think, <laughs> oh, uh, Caribbean, it's going to be like jungle and lush like the Philippines. No, Guantanamo is like a desert with really? cactus and iguanas. That's, That's about crazy. It. And so we went out there. And so there's like an old runway they had out there. And there, of course, you know, guys just tossed their dispensers. I think it was a dispenser we got caught out there for. And it was just buried in the concrete. They just chucked it off the flat line. We had done some reading on it. And we just kind of like looked at each other. I grabbed my gloves. And we were just like, well, Let's see how we get this thing out of here, you know. I don't think anything's in there. I don't see anything in there. All right, you go away. I'm going to get my nook inside here, and we're going to get this thing out of here. You know, so, you know, you do a lot of that type of things because, you know, down there you just have uh, you have MAs, you have GMs, and you have their OIC. They don't know anything about this, but you're there to protect property, even in the south there. So, you know, it shuts down their base operations and their security patrols. You know when they have it, but this stuff's been sitting there probably since like the '60s. You know, so you know you all is like always there. It's always going to be there because yeah. humans just cut stuff randomly, and they're like, "Well, not my problem now." Right. So I buried it ten feet down. You know, <laughs> so did that, and then we we uh, we did a bunch of coat hotel stuff. That's all the stuff. You know, just a lot of a lot of that type of stuff. We went down there, helped those guys out, and again, it's always good to take pictures. And, you know, those guys don't get to see us much. So we go help them and, and take care of all their ammunition. We make their problems go away. And it just helps that out. It helps us get a lot of training and, and whatnot. So we did a lot of that type of things. And then after that, we both put on Master Tech. He put it on a little bit, like a month or two before me. And then I put it on by the skin of my teeth. Uh, that was one of the most enjoyable but numbing experiences, anybody who's done a master board or just any professional uh, board for that matter, is just the most mind-numbing uh, experience. And if it wasn't for the guys at dive school and the sword that I don't think I would have passed the first time, you know, I think I, I think I was told that. I was like, if it wasn't for you <laughs> being you, I don't think you would have passed. And you, you really make the most amazing beverages and spread because oh my god Treen made the best lumpia like forever and it was my most addicting thing but that woman she held out on me <laughs> there's another thing that's even more addicting than lumpia it's called Tehran or banana cube have you had Tehran or banana cube no dude so it's it's lumpia but it's banana but it has to be the really? right type of banana you can't just use like the regular banana and you wrap it up in a, in a lumpia roll. So in Panama City, there was another Filipino. So once you find Asians, you always find more Asians. And it's just like a network. It's like a spiral 
and you just keep finding and just keep finding. <laughs> we found this Filipino store that was right near base, and it was the Filipino lumpia wrapper because Trina was like, you can't make lumpia unless it's this wrapper. So I was like, all right, I'll find it. And I found it. Nice frozen lumpia wrappers. And we found these things. And Tehran is banana with, with sugar. And you baste it as you fry it. So it's like lumpia, but it's all sugary. And it creates this like caramel, this caramel like hardened thing. When you bite in, it's so crunchy. She held out for me for like 10 years. I came back, we got to the Philippines, and I was like, what is this deliciousness you speak of? Like, what is this? And it's freaking lumpia, dude. That's oh awesome. My God. It, it's drawn. It, it's drawn. It's the most delicious thing. Yeah, when I was doing chief initiation, I swear, I was like, Trine, make me like 10 trays of lumpia. I was sitting out there on Panama City, just kind of frying lumpia and selling them for our fundraising. That's awesome. And it was just, it was great, dude. It, nice. it was just so much fun. But yeah, dude, yeah, the, the, the master board, so I cooked like an amazing spread. I brought in like a carload, me and Train did. I think I won them over, not on my EOD skills or speaking skills, but I think I won them over on, oh, man, this guy, this guy can cook. Yeah. <laughs> don't make him a master, make him a, make him a, make him a master chef. Yeah. <laughs> He's getting a new rating. Uh, we might about, yeah, dude, yeah, we got, we got, we got to change. That changed ratings on that one, but yeah, dude. So that that was a good time. It was a, it was a great thing to put together because you know I think the qualifications of the Navy and especially in the community, you're only qualified just good enough. It's now what you do with that qualification. And no offense to me, I, I got out. I really didn't get the flex, and I was already with a bunch of chiefs and senior people. So I was still kind of like, I'm a chief, but I'm a master tech, but I'm still 3M guy. I'm still over in my own little shed by myself with the other LPO and it's just us. So I'm just going to sit here and do 3M and I know it says chief master tech, but I don't think it really means much. I'm just going to sit over here and do my same job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy, man. Yeah. So I think it just qualifies you barely enough to do the job and then you, you learn, you know, I mean, I asked you like, how was it after you put on chief and master tech? You know, how was your leadership I mean, in that? How was, how was your leadership development? You know, what did you do? You know, were you just like, hey, here's a team. I heard that's not how it is. I heard it's not like, oh, sweet, you're a chief animatic. We're going to give you a team. I heard it's not like that at all. <laughs> uh, you're 100% right with, uh, you know, you qual to say that you can do the job, but it's not until you actually start doing it. So whether it's a supervisory qual or, you know, um, you know, you get your senior badge or your master badge. Um, it's, you get that and, and it is, you know, some guys are way better than the minimum standard, but oh, yeah. until you start executing with that qual, that, that qual is the, the gate to let you start doing that more, um, what do you say that, that heavier responsibility and, mm -hmm. And then you executing that heavier responsibility, that's what actually determines whether, you know, you're worth anything <laughs> added or not, you know, <laughs> but no, how's I, that working out? <laughs> I mean, they haven't found out I'm a fraud yet. <laughs> no. it's, it's so crazy seeing you guys as master chiefs, senior chiefs. It's, it's, 
awesome. It's so cool to see that. Yeah, it's it, it's been a it's been. I mean, it's just like with with anything else. You've said it a bunch of times, um, you know, and then uh, previous guests have said it uh, before as well. That yeah, I may have a, a qual or I may have gotten you know a certification or whatever, but the fact that I have that doesn't mean much. It's all the people that have helped me get that. And then once I have it, that are working with me to execute the things that we need to execute. There's very, very few things in this job that you can do by yourself. There there are a few things, yeah. but even to get to those things, you have to have people get you there and then take you back from it. And, and that, thing that you did usually is the culmination of a lot of people and a lot of time put into you. And it's, I mean, that, that was before I ever joined EOD and I'm sure it'll be the same way long after I'm gone. So. Yeah. I think it's just true in the civilian world, man. I got my brother-in-law, uh, both, both, uh, one brother-in-law is, is, is a mason. It's not like, anything like that, but I, these, these fraternities and these things like that, and like we have EOD fraternity, you have the veteran fraternity, and they're, that's what they are, you know, whatever fraternity, sorority, I mean, it might be a sorority too, you know, it's all the same, like you have these organizations, right, Chiefs Mess, and you have all these things, but it's, it's, it's those people, it's, it's the network you make, and, and, I, and I never really understood that because I think a lot of guests have said this before, is that, you know, we're like, ah, oh, my time's done, uh, so I'm out of here, see you guys later, I'll see you tomorrow or never. You know, it's like, yeah. I'm out. You know, a, a lot of us are, are of that mentality. But then as we get we get older and hopefully wiser, you know, we're like, oh, man, I, I miss the guys and gals. I, I miss sitting there where I was just EOD2 nobody. And I was just sitting there locking what's-his-name in a cage upstairs. You know, just because. I was like, dude, get in this cage. Let's go lock him up in the cage and then leave him for like an hour. Let's watch how annoying he gets. <laughs> 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 you know, and then now you're the guy that's in charge and everyone's looking to you as as the, as the leadership. You know, you have to lean on those guys. You know, the smartest guy in the room is probably your junior dude. It, it, it's going to be like, that dude's thinking. He doesn't have all the top-level ideas and, and whatnot. If that, if that junior dude is like, oh, yeah, I got this. You got to lean on everybody to team effort, you know, and then you got to go reach out. You know, good, good and bad. You know, I've seen, I've seen it go both ways. You know, sometimes you don't need to talk to anybody. You just need to handle business in-house first blabbing your mouth everywhere about stuff you don't know about and then taking care of the guys. You know, I think it's, it's one of the issues I've seen too. I've seen it both ways. I've been on the end of it both ways where people have really gone to bat for me and helped me out. I've also seen people like just like, no, I'm going to go do whatever instead of handing out the problem of adults and just getting the things. Because, you know, most people are always going to be honest with me. You know, most people uh, have been vetted enough to take care of each other. You know, it's just like, you got to build that network and that trust, you know, and I think that's, that's one of the things I think with nowadays society, everyone's not, it's kind of been isolated and they need to kind of report or reorientate themselves. You know, it's really, really interesting. We talk about like networking and, and leadership because that's been a big topic on the, the PhD masterial type level of remote work, man. Can you remote work EOD? Can I like, get back in and just remote work EOD? I mean, that's what we're doing on a robot, right? Or a drone. <laughs> I'm just remote working. Can I just do that for my house? Yeah, I'll gladly do it for you. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's a it's a big hot topic of leadership. And I mean, have you noticed that with like um, 
the, the, the military? Has it, has it made any changes as like the whole pandemic washed out? Have you guys noticed any issues when it comes to, to leadership and management, when it comes to re- remote work and the way that mobile units function or like anybody else like that? Have there been case studies or, you know, I mean, how was, how was the pandemic in that sense? It's got to been crazy from your guys' readiness perspective. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything that needed to get done, it got done. If there was a training that had to be done, you know, if you if you weren't ready in a certain area, then um, everybody worked to make sure that you were allowed to do it, whether you had to follow, you know, whatever rules, wearing masks, separating yeah. by 15,000 feet or I don't know, whatever, you know, then. Does that totally work? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, all, all that was able to, to, to get done. I think it, it highlights, it highlighted even more that, you know, just like we've been saying, it, you may be in charge of something, but it's not without reaching out to several other people. You know, you need that, that, that network, that connection within a command outside of a command to be able to get stuff done. And sometimes it's, you know, legitimately just a straight up favor that someone has given to you to, so that you can execute a, a mission or a training that you need to do. Other times it's, you know, just reaching out to the right person because they happen to be in charge of the thing that you need. I mean, yeah, we were doing, you know, on, on my team, we were doing Zoom calls, <laughs> legitimately huh. doing Zoom calls and, and you know, getting stuff done from where we needed to and then plan training events. And then we'd show up together and execute those training events and evaluate. And one of the things that that I did was I, I talked to the guys and, uh, you know, when when the rules were when the rules didn't allow us to be together every day in person, I would ask the guys if they felt like if we had to go and do our job for real right now, did they feel trained enough to be able to go execute? And, you know, I had my answer. I I felt at the time my guys were, were ready, but you know, I'm only one of the, one of the people, if, if any one of them felt like they weren't, then I'd have made the case to, to get it, to go in, in person and do more training. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a weird time. It was a weird time for everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like that, like that. now in the leadership world here, they're like, there's a lot of like, especially when you get out, like you run your own business and the states are a lot more forgiving when it comes to businesses and whatnot. In the Philippines, like when it comes to business, it's uh very archaic rules and very archaic thing. Like I said, like at the beginning, there's, there's a lot of uh, archaic stuff we do out here, but like, well, how you manage your team and how you build that camaraderie carries over from the military and you build your exercise. Now you have to work with civilians. You can't be like, hey, F-Face, get over here and come do this stuff. You know, like, hey, we're doing this. You got you to kind of uh, tackle the problem in like a, uh, a different way. And you have to kind of figure out what's going to motivate people. A lot of it comes down to money. A lot of it comes down to uh, environmental things. You know, I work with a lot of people that are in their early 20s, fresh college grads that, I mean, I, I realize I'm pushing 40 here, and, and these guys are like 20 years. So, you know, it's the same type of dynamic where you have this new person that's, you know, pretty educated but doesn't understand some of the nuances 
of life, let alone some of the job requirements. And it's one of the things I struggle with is how do you find the easiest path to get them on that while doing stuff remote or do you need to do stuff remote? And I think it's one of the big hot, hot topics because, um, I don't know, are you familiar with uh, OpenAI or ChatGPT? Have you tinkered with uh, any of those programs? No, I, I haven't tinkered with it, but I've been, you know, seeing a little bit of stuff on that popping up a lot more recently. It seems interesting. Dude, it, it is insane. Like, uh, I, I was tinkering with it last night because I was busy trying to write an Excel program and a macro to price my uh, inventory a little bit uh, faster, a little more competitively. And, oh, man, it's, it's just like you just have a conversation and it'll, it'll guide you to that. Of course, you always have to verify the answer. I think that's one of the big issues of this current generation. Sometimes they don't verify the information and, you know, you got fake news and yeah. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, yeah, you should probably go verify that first, you know, just to say this one or two, you know, if you get wrong stuff, you know, it happens. But, you know, you should probably go check what this bot is telling you. But, man, it is some scary stuff. That, that you can do nowadays because I think it was um, with uh, Davos was going on right now. And I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but uh, Microsoft uh, CEO was talking to the Wall Street Journal. And one of the things they were talking about they released it is that how they're using like 80% of their code is going through these types of AI. So they're wow. leveraging it um, to where they write their programs and most of it's being written by the bot. And I agree to that is like, when in, in my business of cars, I deal with millions of cars. And like I thought I was buying like 200 kilos of cars, which is like 100, 180,000 cars. And when you start moving heavy volumes of cars or any product, you could be widget, whatever widget it is, you know, you're, you, you have these logistical bottlenecks and leveraging AI to reduce time and it goes back to the military, you know, um, I think of one of the other guys on the podcast was, do I really need to be going down the road? like a hundred times when I've already kind of got the, the, the basic training when I'm here to more learn the hookup points, the training and, you know, right. Strong man, we can go, you know, like, Oh my God, that training has already been ingrained in you. Right. And then the helicopter's crashing anyway. So, you know, you don't have to, you're all going out the door anyway, if you're lucky, you know, at the end of the day, don't worry about strong man, we can go. You're just going out the helo. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things when it comes to leveraging AI to make things better. And that's one of the things that drew me in, especially because of LinkedIn and why I really like reconnecting to the veteran community, especially EOD, is I see a lot of people within this goes back to my nerdiness, is I see a lot of the, the underwater vehicles and I see a lot of the nerd stuff with that is I just see like, man, I wonder how far these guys have gone and are they leveraging um, the open AIs and the stuff like they can because a lot of the stuff you get off the shelf uh, in the commercial world, you can end up taking to the military side applications and, and doing that because there's a lot of really, really cool technology out there. And just the ways to shortcut so many things to just make you really, really, really fast at the job. So yeah, really, I think we live in a really interesting time period, like the next 10 years, you know, with, with uh, trends and whatnot and after military things. I don't see any of this stuff slowing down. <laughs> No, I, I agree. It's the world is changing. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's like um, agricultural trends, right? So, like one of the one of the big uh, topics. So, I so I started my business and I did that. So during the pandemic, I had a lot of self reflection as I was sitting in school, and I was like, "Why am I back in school again? I've done enough school." 
uh, like my brother-in-law, they have a really big uh, egg business. So I don't know if you check the price of eggs. Uh, eggs are very, very, very expensive now. And if you notice during the pandemic, everyone like talks about inflation yeah. and whatnot. It goes back to investing. You're like, oh man, I should have bought this house five years ago. Well, the best time to buy your house is now. Best time to invest in something, whatever it is, is now. Don't wait. Remember, be like me, stubborn. Just be stubborn. Just, just go. Yeah. Just, just, just go. Make a decision and go. Because every time you miss, go look at that house. I, I looked at a house in 38. And me and Trine were really trying to buy it. It was right at 45 minutes outside Panama City. And we already had it. So it was like 1.3 million. And we were like, oh, if I can just get 300K in cash, I can buy this house and rent it. Yeah. And now I look at the house, it's worth like 3 million. Yeah. <laughs> you know, same I go back to Homestead. Homestead property, like one acre of land was $60,000 in 2017 when I was getting out. And agricultural land now is two hundred thousand dollars. Look at that appreciation alone in, in land value. So you know if you're investing in something, you're going to start a business. You're going to do it. Just go and do it while you're in the military. You know, don't be the guy that's like or gal that's like doing over here. Go go learn self develop while you're in, and then then get out. You know, have at least an idea, at least a, a direction to go. My direction is happening to be the Philippines. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's just one of those things, and. I got into agriculture because my brother-in-law and his uh, his family do eggs and they do just massive amount of eggs so we decided we were going to commercially grow uh sweet peppers and hot hot peppers uh in the philippines under greenhouses so i started a hashtag humble brag uh youtube page and i started really documenting now every week some of the things i don't want to let out a lot of the secrets because a lot of the issues is that People just don't have access to good fruits and vegetables over here. That's yeah. where the diet is is dried fish, roulad, and freaking rice. <laughs> if they could eat just salty fish and rice, just a little bit of salty fish and like a kilo of rice, I think that's like the diet over here. But we're trying to really push uh, fruits and, and, and vegetables. And what we did is we created uh, greenhouses to grow these in. So we didn't go back to EOD. Type, type knowledge of like, oh, what, what do I do when I get out? Well, agriculture is probably the best, um, well, best would probably risk management, but agriculture would be a second best because all the chemicals you learned about, um, all the things like the nitrates and everything like that, you can use those things. And whether you're growing organically or you're doing biological methods, you know, you can, or using chemical, you know, you're all going to mix those together. So I got really big and nerdy into agriculture. So we linked up with a, um, a producer. And so we sell peppers, sweet peppers, hot peppers, and we make our own chili sauces and chili powders. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but paprika and chili are one of the top products for producers that are needed to make sausage, to make everything you eat has either paprika or chili in mm. your uh, packaging. So you need paprika or chili. So what we do is we grow both types of peppers. So what I did is I'm getting sponsored. Hopefully I can release that on my YouTube channel. I'm getting sponsored by another uh, corporation. Hopefully in February, I got the license to import this particular thing. So we're importing uh, stuff down here and its ability to grow. And so that all goes back to EOD because not only is this stuff fun to blow up, 
it's also great to grow amazing crops. You know, so that's awesome. You know, it's one of those big, big things so that that you can carry over. And a lot of the ways you treat uh, your pest control is through the chemicals that you use through EOD. And you're like, oh man, I would have never thought that this chemical. When you read the back of the bottle, you're like, oh. Oh, yeah. this does this. <laughs> That's crazy. Because I remember that thing when I, I brought out the fertilizer rep and I brought them out to my farm and buy it. In the Philippines, you invite people. It's just the polite way to do it. So you always have these gatherings. Again, it goes back to the connection and things. So I invited these, these people out to my farm. So I invited them out. We cooked uh, chicken and we had this big thing that we, ho- we host a lot. Trina and I really host a lot of them. Things. So we bought them out, we bought them, we showed them our things, and they looked at me and they looked at the fertilizers. I was using their fertilizers, but I EOD'd it in a way, and I found out how to dissolve their fertilizers that were not supposed to be dissolved or used <laughs> that way. I had dissolved them and I had separated out the components that I needed because you cannot ship potassium nitrate down to Mindanao. Yeah. I don't know why you can't. Or I know why you can't do it, yeah. but um, they would not do it. So I took their stuff and I provided some good EOD knowledge and I showed them how you could do it. I didn't tell them how I did it uh, for a lot of reasons, but I took their stuff and showed them the result. And I was like, ta-da! That's awesome. <laughs> they looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, well... I had another job before this, and I may or may not know how to uh, take care of this stuff. But now I grow plants, you know, and I, I, I post that on that. I, I can send you the, the link if you, if you link it in that, so you can follow me on that on 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 YouTube and kind of see that. It's pretty much me to blog and and kind of sharing knowledge where I can, much like the podcast. Is, yeah. You know, I think that it's more of us just just talk and get the ideas out there. Because again, like me, I'm like internet retarded at seems like with YouTube, what's what the YouTube? Then I, I didn't know really about this. And now because of the pandemic, now you can't post anything without Instagram, social media, and all of that. So I got really big into growing that. And right now I have another secret project of vanilla. And now all of a nice. sudden the Department of Agriculture in the Philippines is now talking about vanilla because um, nerd history, uh, Spain ruled the Philippines. Vanilla comes from Mexico, and then it got traveled around the world, and then it really gets produced heavily in Indonesia and Madagascar, but also because um, the Spanish owned the Philippines for like 300 years, there are vanilla vines that are possible to grow here in the Philippines. So I grew a jungle, why everybody and their mother, like Trina, was like, let's grow these houseplants. I'm like, great, you can't eat it, nor can you sell it. You just buy it and it dies and then you buy it again yeah. and then it dies. <laughs> I want to grow something that I can eat because, you know, what's going on like with Ukraine is, well, if you control 40% of the world's grain, yeah, you kind of make people hungry and they don't like that. Yeah. And then it always, always leads to war and famine. And we already have crazy enough um, ecological problems. In the Philippines, you can't have a time where there's no typhoons or, or rain. Uh, and in Africa, you have you have what's going on in Europe, where now you have the UK, where you have the weather patterns at 40 Celsius in the UK, which is unheard of. You have that that sub-Saharan Africa is now pushing into the Mediterranean and Northern Europe, so they're just losing crops 
left and right. So one of my other projects is growing um, vanilla beans for production because vanilla is a stabilizer. Go back to like EOD to find out like vanilla in the process it has like 256 compounds on top of just vanilla and which actually creates the the smell. So I created my own uh, extract. I use extraction methods to extract. But now I make it sound like it's really highly technical, but it's, it's a pretty easy process when you get down to it. Um, you can just look it up on USDA and they kind of tell you how to do it. You know, you do X plus Y, or you get Z. It's like, it's a really simple process. So I've been approached by a lot of people to grow it out here, but because of a lot of the, the dynamics and then the lack of knowledge sharing, nobody is kind of talking about that. They're slowly doing it, but it's kind of like, Ah, but yeah, you're kind of full of crap. It doesn't really work that way. It's, I grew it your way. My crops died. I don't know what you did, but it, it died and it didn't work. So I'm really documenting a lot of the agriculture that I'm doing. I'm putting on YouTube. Those are more homebound type things and agriculture was that, that way yeah. to do it. And then now we want to share it with our friends and family and connect because so many people that I connected in college. They were like, yo, man, I do uh, CBD oil um, and cannabis extraction and everything like that. And I'm like, man, I wish I could grow that crap here. I could grow, I want to grow that stuff there because the uh, medicinal properties of a lot of that type of stuff. I wish I could do some of those things because as I get nerdy into vanilla and peppers and everything, I find how agriculture kind of blends together. Honestly, I think it's cool um, how you're you were able to relate like a, a decent portion of your life in EOD to so many different things outside. I, I think that's one of the things that is probably most interesting to me about EOD. When yeah. you look at what people do that, you know, when they get out the variety of things that people do that EOD specifically, maybe not the fact that you learn how to disarm a bomb, but all the things that go into the thought processes and then the other trainings that can be used in so many different areas. It's not like, you know, if you learn how to be a grunt and shoot a gun and then you get yeah. out of the military and you're like, okay, I guess I can be a cop. <laughs> EOD, you know, you talk about learning the, the, the different extraction methods and how to pull what you want out of a bag of fertilizer to make something that's usable for you that really wasn't or wasn't as effective as it is now you know it's just we know we know why it's not effective we know what's in there what they put in there to make it not effective yeah <laughs> i want the good stuff it, it, <laughs> give me the good stuff <laughs> exactly like you said that's you know yeah you could you could go to school to be a chemist and learn the same thing or you could do this Smarter. pretty cool thing <laughs> for you know a fair amount of time where you get to go learn the basics of chemistry and the basics of, you know, yeah. nuclear physics and the basics of a bunch of different things. And then with that, you know, like you said, most of us, if not all of us, even if we don't want to admit it, are a nerd in one form or another. And we have an interest oh. and our interest, you know, maybe you didn't care about chemicals and how they work for 10 years but then all of a sudden, you're like, ah, oh, I'm getting into agriculture. I remember when I learned this thing. And then you dive into that, and you've already got a head start. And it's oh, yeah, pretty cool. interesting. You're way up everybody else. 
how I felt when I was doing like these presentations. It's not like I got hashtag like humble brag moments, but it was just like when I was talking to the the, the pesticide people because I really try not to play pesticides. But you can't do it indefinitely, right? That's a, it's such myths that social media has put on organic and inorganic growing and and whatnot. And then I I, I was actually teaching the fertilizer company uh, head reps, the regional reps. I was teaching, I don't know if it's just because it's the Philippines and it's very weird because it's a very interesting dynamic here in the Philippines. Um, but I was educating them on, on their products because I knew the EOD background and I was like, Oh, you know, it's not all just like the rock where you're like, Oh yeah, you know, just take this and you make DX gas. And yeah. say, no, it's not like that. <laughs> you know, it's really false. But you know, if you do X, Y, Z, you can find out, okay, this, this does this. What does it do? Oh, it makes it makes the bugs not be able to reproduce. It makes it not be able to eat. It affects the stomach. It makes this. And you're like, okay, well, what would that do? What chemical would that do in humans? Because you know how, how they find all this stuff out. So then you're like, all right, well, how do I apply that but in a safe way? Not because you know you, you say just like we're talking agriculture, but it goes into risk management, and that's what EOD does the best. Is in this day and age, and everybody, everybody needs a risk manager, whether it's investing or, or just life. Hell, I need a risk manager for myself. You know, it's, it should not be me. Right. <laughs> you know, I should not be in charge. Um, but it's like, you know, you have like the risk management of like, well, if I tell my Filipino workers that have a, 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 a basic high school level uh, thing, because they're just basic farmhands, there's nothing against them. But they just have a basic education. How can I tell them to put on their damn mask and wear gloves and walk through the footsteps? What you can do, like, um, is showing them and then plastering. Because if they're not going to read, you know, right? It goes back to, like, you're going to be a strong diver or you're going to be a smart diver. Right. Those are your options. Sometimes you get to be both. You know, sometimes you only get to be one or the other. But if you show them, that, hey, this stuff will really mess you up. Like, don't smoke around the chemicals. Don't smoke while you're spraying the plants. You know, because one, it's not just that it's deadly, but you don't want that stuff for a lot of other reasons that won't affect you until 20 years down the way, like mercury. You know, that once mercury is in you, it's never coming out of you, ever, forever, and it'll, it'll, it'll mess you up for the rest of your life, you know. So it's one of those things that you do that. And that's how I did it still. And it's gradually taking me like I'm on my second year of agriculture. And I pretty much was like, all right, step one, put back, fill with bleach, cap full of bleach. So now I started using YouTube to record unlisted videos. And it was pretty much Joe teaches agriculture. Maybe I'll do that for like a Patreon. I'll do Patreon. And I'll, I'll teach people because you need to teach that. Um, basic steps because they're not going to read, right? EOD texts don't read. We're like, well, they have these publications, but they have these words in it. I like the pictures better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How many stations does this have? One, two, three. Oh, I'll go that one, that one. I'll go to that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you have to, have to treat that because, you know, when it's, it's fine motor skills. When you get into that, like, adrenaline pumping thing, you're like, your hands turn to, like, paddles. And you're like, what do I grab? What do they say? All right, pull the ripcord. Don't pull this one. Wait, cut away. Don't cut away. Cut away. Well, what do I say? <laughs> you know, when, when everything does that, and the same, same thing relates to agriculture, you're trying to teach everybody else. Because my other brother-in-law, 
he came from Kwajalein, he was a contractor on Kwajalein. Funny enough, both Americans marrying Filipinos, uh, and we're over here, irony on that stuff. But he was on Kwajalein at the time that I could have actually met him there. And it's just so funny, like the, the way everything crisscrosses in life. But he was a safety guy. And I know EOD guys don't like safety guys. Well, I, get out of here, nerd. We're, we know how to store stuff. Why are you going in there? You don't know any of this stuff. Why are you, why are you failing us on this inspection? But me and him talked about agriculture because he came from fifth generation farmers in Illinois. And he was talking about how they do a lot of the agriculture up north. And I was like, yeah, it's nothing compared to the tropical agriculture that we would see in Florida and, and whatnot. So we were kind of going over a lot of the risk management. Well, how do you teach a worker that has a sixth grade education how to spray stuff, how to wear the mask, how to wear the gloves. And yeah. it's much like how you would teach a new EOD tech or a guy straight off the street, you do baby steps, you crawl off, run, and, and you relate that type of stuff. So not only do you have the, the chemical basic um, CBRN package, you also know how to, hey, don't put the blasting cap in your mouth. Yeah. Don't, don't do this, right? You know? Light the C4, but don't light the C4 and then smash it with a hammer, right? You know, like, <laughs> don't complete the triangle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like you end up being like Smokey the Bear, you know, you know like only you can rip forest fires. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, no, those all relate back into leadership. And if you go through it, even if you're like EOD3, whatever, you can still provide those those things. You know, because it brings me back to a story back to like Taui Taui, because like that was the issue with like the Philippines this one. My deployment in Cotabato and Mindanao was so much different than the guys at the head shed in Zimbabwe than the guys that end up going to Pasilan or down to Taui Taui and Hole. Taui Taui was like Iraq. So you're having army, you're clearing the fears, you're doing a lot of that type of stuff. And it's more of that type of um, non-permissive environment. Um, but one of the guys had like an explosion go off and another guy was like kind of freaking out one of the fill forces that were there and um he was like look man hey check him out his ears your ears are good you can hear you know talk about overpressure and and everything it's like look you're good but that's an eod3 eod2 right there just trying to calm people down so we provide those like crisis response type uh effects and that's a young guy who has First deployment, barely any knowledge, but he learned something through the, the pipeline about how overpressure affects and when to seek medical care and how to do it. And it was a really good shining moment for him to be able to calm people down and get them to interact because, yeah, it, once that happens, it's all chaos in there, you know? Yeah. But it all builds, you know? It's just one of those things that kind of goes out. Yeah, it's crazy how, how it builds. And whatnot, but now we get to share it all on YouTube and podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, this is great knowledge. Man, this this has been a a pretty good one because we've covered a whole bunch of different things, and it's it, it is it's really interesting how um man one how how your life can go in a direction that you weren't planning at all, <laughs> but then two that oh God, um, yeah. you know if you take the time to to learn and actually like get what you can out of it and that you, you you're really like unstoppable on the outside there's you know I, i've heard crazy things where guys are getting offered 150 250 to work for amazon just because of some of the things that you've done you know we've done through eod specifically 
And, and it's, you know, conversations like this that kind of explain why, where, you know, the, the thought process that EOD techs have when they get out is one of like, you have problem, you find solution. And then because of all the crazy things that, you know, we've done throughout the years in EOD, you've probably already got a good portion of the solution. You just have to think back to the different times, you know, like you've got a bag of fertilizer. It's not useful the way it is. Okay. Rolodex get back to Kim. Okay. There's a portion of the solution. Maybe, you know, in another portion in EOD, you've got a a little portion there and then now, okay, I've got that. Now I know where to go and start reading the rest of the process and boom, now I've got the solution. I know how to dilute it. I know how to mix it out. I know how to pull, leach the the thing that I want to then be effective. It's yeah, pretty interesting. But. Yeah, it's just amazing. But yeah, you got to apply yourself. You got to start somewhere. But you also have to have the network too. You know, yeah. if it wasn't for having the network I have here, I'm very, very, very fortunate of the family that I'm in. Uh, we have the the financial capability but again it goes back to that financial capability and i feel like a like a dummy you know like i feel like a dummy for getting out sometimes like i look back and pushing out today and putting a lot of these podcasts and i i, I do have some regrets and i wish wish i would have pursued doing a a, a little higher echelon type thing i wish i would have tried a little bit more i remember one time i think i think you remember the guy we were we were doing a, a test out, out there and i remember one of the guys uh just referred to nate they looked over at me it's like joe how fast can you swim? I'm like, dude, I'm retarded in the water. I don't think you want to guide off me. I'm in some zigzag. You want to pass this thing? You just go ahead. I'll follow you. But I remember that. But you know, it's one of those one of those things where that you don't want to leave the military without regret. You know, that was one of one of my regrets. I wish I would have pursued a little bit better. But then I look back on myself, where again, I think a lot of the stuff was like grew better as a person. I'm still stubborn. I'm still stuck in my own ways sometimes. Where I'm, I'm like very like head down. I'm like, no, nope, we're doing this. I already said we're doing this. We're doing this. Yeah. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. But you know, like while you're in the military, pursue every option you have. Go take those things where you want to, even if you don't want to at the time. Like you think, what am I going to learn from this? And I think that's a, it's a, it's a toxic attitude of like, what am I going to learn from this? I already know everything. And the one thing I get from the guys at the higher echelon is you're always a new guy, no matter what, no matter how well you're trained. You're always a freaking new guy, but you always have to be willing to help the other guys and gals out. You always have to be willing to go back to those things and be willing to learn. And that's what really broke me out is that I realized that it's always day one, always re- be willing to learn and relearn stuff that you did. And I think that's, that's one of those things that don't leave the military. If, you do, if you're at your four-year point, uh, your contract, you're like, man, that SRB is really good. You're like, oh, but then I gotta pay taxes on it. I gotta get the combat gun so I can get tax free. You know, right. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. That don't leave the military without doing anything. I think that's the best advice I heard from older guys. Because yeah, a lot of the guys, especially you guys, I look at you guys and I'm like, man, they're retiring. I could be there, and I do feel bad that I'm not with you guys. Because honestly, man, I I had no intention of getting out. I I didn't. But the looking like talking to Trina and then seeing my kids grow up. You can't put a price on that. And that's the sacrifice that every active duty person does when they raise their hand is 
that that's something that can't be replaced. And that was to me, that's what makes the American military so good, is that we're willing to put our families to the side and we know that just to defend the country. And that's what everybody does. So, you know, I look at it now, you guys are retiring, you can have that sweet ass retirement plus VA because your bodies are shot. And I'm like, well, <laughs> got to get my crap together and make some money. Right. How can I make some money? <laughs> you know, you, you definitely have more options at that stage. And especially if you bought houses along the way, you're going to have the same insane retirement. I've been pinging a lot of the guys. I'm like, hey, how's your retirement fund going? Have you put money into your PSP? Yeah, I know it went down. Yeah. But, you know, have you continued to put money into it? You know, it might be up. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> You know, I think that's, that's one of the things for you guys. I, I tell my guys and, and uh, my card store and, and whatnot, most of my card store because they're more white-collar type workers, and I tell them that, hey, you know, you got to invest in your health. you got to invest in yourself. And I know you don't like paying into these programs like Social Security and whatever. Uh, as long as they don't go bankrupt, they, they will eventually. I mean, as long as humanity hasn't ended. I mean, we've tried to end ourselves multiple times. Um, you know, it was in the last 20 years we tried to do it and, you know, (laughs) really we haven't done it yet. So, you know, you will get old, your body, your body will break down. You know, I hope you put money into your retirement. So I make a lot of the guys and the government make a lot of people, they make the businesses put the money into it and they're right, wrong, or indifferent. At least it's a decision because it's better to get out of the military. I got out of the military and I had a good retirement, but I'm like, damn, if I would have put more money into it, if I wanted to not took my SRB or my reenlistment bonus and put it here, I could have put it there and I would have had significantly amount more money. It compounds, right? Just like the knowledge we talked about, EOD compounds. Same with your money, it's compounding. And I look at my house and states and I'm like, well, that was a good investment. Yeah. <laughs> now I got to go refinance it to go buy agricultural land in Southern Florida so I can grow vanilla. <laughs> I got to figure out the logistics on that, you know. So, yeah, it's just, it's just a constant compounding and learning type thing. It's always be learning, yeah. You know, and willing to willing to put in the work, no matter how much your time was in the military. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you coming on and, and talking with us. And uh, uh, dude, you got to make it out this way, dude. You know, definitely looking this part. And again, I'm, I think I'm hosting another guy that's coming out. Here, but don't, if anybody gets this podcast, don't be a stranger. Reach me out on Facebook. You can get in touch with Duran or myself or follow me on my YouTube page. I'll give all the details whenever this goes live. But, you know, just don't be a stranger. And I'm, I live in the scary Mindanao, but it's, it's way cooler than Luzon. Yeah. Awesome down here. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll put your YouTube. Shoot me your, your YouTube thing, and I'll put your YouTube on the in the description for the uh, this episode. Yeah, just anybody, just come, come hang out, grab a beer, drive around and show you some farms, and just it's peaceful, man. Nice. And I'll get you out of that stuff. It's relaxing. Oh, I'll leave you with another story. I know we're wrapping up, but another story. So it talks about, like, connections and reaching out. We talked about, like, one of these things. I know since you're going to sashay this up, but we like, separate. Yeah. So I get a call from my old senior chief on my first platoon, who's already out and doing, like, a PSA gig and, and whatnot. And he hits me up, like, out of the freaking blue and it's like yo these guys are coming into the airport i'm like what airport like in in Taguian. i'm like yeah he's like can you go pick them up at the airport i'm like <laughs> uh 
sure. I got nothing else to do. So I'm like, all right, so I'll go pick these dudes up. So these guys are from some some agency. They're doing a conference, you know. Like, that's what they say. And there's a conference. So, but it was a way to retouch with Marine EOD guys that were out here that had switched into the mission and other Mobile Unit 5 guys. So I uh, I was like, yo, you guys are here and I want to give back. And I think that's one of the big things about the podcast and, and everything is give back. So I tell a story about giving back. So I was like, yo, hey, you guys should come hang out at my my uh, my uh, family's house and whatnot. It's, it's not what you're expecting in the, in the Philippines. And it's not like a thing, but I want you guys to come have fun and, and relax. And just invite you over, have a good dinner and, and whatnot. These guys, of course, you know, they're military dudes and they're from some other agencies and, and, and whatnot they don't know what the hell to expect they're used to like the philippines philippines so i can invite them over and i'm like yo i really need it when you come out here and my offer really extends come hang out with me and i come into this place it's like pouring down rain and i invite them in and it's like it's like a, it's like a hacienda i tell it's like a hacienda and it's just like crazy and it's just retouching with a lot of those guys because those guys end up being um mobile and five guys that were right there before we showed up as new guys, so it just shows you the interconnectivity of yeah. that, but all through connections of each other. And that's why I say, man, is spread the word is to reach out to each other, help each other, and then this just always be there to listen to each other's stories and whatnot, because you never know when someone's going to need it or feeling down in the dump and need that pep talk or just, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so it's like those big things always offer extends, but everyone should reach out, especially nowadays. Yeah. Um, the pandemic kind of stuff with uh, separating everybody, you know, so it's just one of those big parts is, you know, just to stay connected and keep learning and reaching out there. But it's just, you know, they're always going to need someone to lean on, not just family. Yeah. But also people you touch with, because, you know, EOD is family. And you don't realize how close you are until you don't have that anymore, because once you separate, it's just like putting your hand in a bucket of water and pulling it out. Maybe you're going to roll on. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's very true, man. Very true. Yeah, I, I appreciate, uh, like I said, again, appreciate you taking some time and, and talking to me and by virtue of the podcast thing, talking to hopefully a lot of other people as well and uh, giving them, them some knowledge. Awesome, man. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for listening to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share.